When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be extreme and effing hardcore. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be extreme and effing hardcore. It's going to be brutal. It's going to be extreme and effing hardcore. It's going to be brutal, it's going to be extreme, and effing hardcore. It's going to be brutal, it's going to be extreme, and effing hardcore. It's going to be... everybody to wrestling omakaze believe it or not this is our 25th episode so uh, first of all i want to thank all of you who've listened to all 25 so far i mean that's it's awesome to hit 25 episodes on a show that um you know i kind of just started on a whim and interestingly enough open the voice gate which i started like two years ago or something just hit 25 episode like last month so I did a lot faster here at Omikaze. I guess that's what Going Weekly will do. But for episode number 25, we're here today to talk about Ring of Honor, ROH, the year interview, the year interview series marches on. We're down to three episodes of these left. And my guest today, one is a returning guest, Mr. Joe Gagne, who last appeared on our acclaimed, I must say, wrestling podcast episode. People really enjoyed us talking about other podcasts. It was very weird, but <laughs> very. I'm. You never know what's going to get over. I guess just like real wrestling. Um, how are you doing today, Joe? I am great to be back on uh, Omakaze here with a Z. 
And Wakazi with a Z. Now, did you nominate for a Shini and put the Z there, buddy? Oh, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, someone did it, obviously. Like, Les, Les told me the number, and it was not like. I mean, I can say it for a while, never mind spell it. So I guess I'm not one. Yeah. Of the I mean, he didn't tell me the exact number, but he told me that the. You know that there were more who did it with the Z, so I was like, "Well, there, there have to be somebody out there." But, um, but yeah, so back here on Omakaze, and like you know, last episode we did a lot of um, we did the wrestling podcast. We also talked a lot about you know just wrestling in general, and I know we we touched upon Ring of Honor, but this episode was actually your idea, and we'll get into um, why you just why you wanted to do this episode first because I was not going to do. A Ring of Honor interview episode. To be honest, I didn't think it was a big enough deal, but um, you know, they 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 had a they did have an interesting year. We'll say that. I mean, I say this obviously for English language audiences, it's probably a bigger deal than half the stuff I wanted to do. But you know, you got to follow your passions, I guess. Um, but once Joe pitched this episode to me, I you know I immediately said we have to get Sean on here, who is our second guest, uh, Mister Sean Cedar, and. You know, I met Sean a few times, and I know that you. I heard him in that utter annihilation of J.R. Goldberg on Joe's podcast, the five star match <laughs> game. Like, Jesus Christ, Sean, you like took poor J.R. Goldberg to the woodshed on that episode of five star match game. What's funny is I didn't, I wasn't even like, I. I did a little bit of studying, if you, if you can call looking on cage match for a half hour studying, but. You, know. I mean, you you knew your shit. What are you gonna say? Don't be don't be humble. You knew your stuff. I mean, Jr. I, like Jr. Basically had the exact like you know people don't know when when Joe um, Joe pitches these episodes in the Slack sometimes like you know who's gonna who who wants to be on this episode or whatever. And he pitched Ring of Honor. And I thought about it, but I'm like, well, wait a second. I stopped watching Ring of Honor in like you know 2008, really. Like I was super hardcore about it. Obviously, you know, I used to as we talked about on the the episode with JR, you know, the two of us grew up at the, you know, watching Ring of Honor and going to all those shows. But like 2008 is basically it for me as far as like following it regularly. Um, a little into 2009, maybe. And then like after that, it's just like very hit or miss. Like I probably kept up with it a little bit. I, I kind of know what happened, but I didn't see a lot of the shows. And, you know, it's not a promotion I follow that intently. So I just, you know, when, when Joe pitches his episode, I'm just like, well, I would get my ass kicked because I, I'd be fine at everything during the Gabe era. But, like, once the Gabe era ends, I have no fucking idea, basically. And JR was like, well, that's not going to stop me. And JR basically, he had everything. JR's, like, performance would have been my performance, basically. I would have got been fine during the Gabe era, but post-Gabe era, I would have no idea. So, there you go. Sean, you, you utterly destroyed him. So, poor JR has to get... I don't know. Maybe I have to do a lucha one so Jr. can get his revenge or something. <laughs> I'll get the couple feel, on for that one, and that'll be a fair fight. <laughs> I feel kind of bad for Joe because you haven't. I think what you've done three episodes so far of your of the five star match game, and I don't think any of them have been really nope. competitive. They've all been like one sided. Yeah, yeah. Well, what can you do? I'm sure eventually he'll get like a really close episode, but you know he's got to find the perfect two. Um, but what we're here to talk about, obviously, is Ring of Honor. And um, so, so Joe, you pitched me this episode as like, you feel Ring of Honor is, 
I guess, misunderstood or misrepresented or I don't know. Like, pitch me again because apparently I'm not doing your pitch very well. (laughs) It's just that Ring of Honor, I think the narrative is maybe the most interesting out of any wrestling company there is where, you know, okay, New Japan uh, continues to expand and people tend to like them a lot and that's fine. Or something like Ring of Honor, where they drew at least their two biggest crowds ever, and maybe like three out of their five. And to the point, they sold out the uh, uh, final battle faster than ever. They're doing big yeah. crowds, mm-hmm. and they're good. But the core audience like has this utter, at best, apathy for it, if not outright contempt. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting, because when, you know, when as DDT's expanded, I don't think their core fans are like, you know, yuck. Now mm-hmm. I think they don't. I so what it tends to be a correlation with the expanse of something success and an appreciation for it. Where with Ring of Honor, at least in the circles and people who listen to this show, there's kind of there's somewhat of the opposite. So I thought that's I mean, I just I think it's worth an an honest look at the things Ring of Honor has done right and the things they've certainly done wrong throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I've I've ever seen either a promotion where it's it's had its most successful year ever yet. At least our circle of fans, at least in in our circle, it's never been. I guess the the buzz has never been less there. You know, the buzz has never been colder than it is right now. At least in our bubbles. But again, just like uh, Joe mentioned, it's you know they've had some of the biggest crowds ever. And then final battle, which I was at on this past Friday as we record this, was the fastest sellout ever in the Hammerstein Ballroom, and that's crazy to think, considering what that card ended up being and comparing it to other cards that ROH has put on in the Hammerstein. Like, it's crazy to think that out of all the different, like, big matches that ROH has put there for shows in the Hammerstein, that show they had on this past Friday at Final Battle with that card had the fastest sellout, the fastest sellout of all of them. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Um... I mean, when it comes to the buzz, you know, um, it's it's a really cool, um, well, not, I don't know, cool. Like, it's a really interesting question because we we talked about this a little bit, I think, in the Voices of Wrestling Slack, you know, which is like, you know, people don't know what Slack is, it's like a, a chat thing. Um, like, basically, there's other bubbles, right? And there's there's what I think we've all kind of turned, like, the the casual hardcores, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Is a good word for it? Like, the people who... You know, because I've observed this a lot when I was in line um, for last year's final battle, I think. Or could it? No, no, no. It was 2016's Global Wars is where I really observed this. Because you're waiting in line for a show that's going to feature New Japan guys on it. So you think that you'd have people who were excited to see the New Japan wrestlers, and that's what they'd be talking about. But what were they talking about in the line? Again, this is very anecdotal. It could just be the, the people I was with. You know, disclaimer, disclaimer. But what were they excited for? They were excited. They were talking about Lucha Underground, which at the time, you know, still had buzz at the time with a certain group of fans. They were talking about Impact and, like, you know, how much it sucks, but they were talking about Impact because they all watch it. And they were talking about WWE, which, again, they don't like, but they all watch it. So you're talking about people who are watching wrestling on television, and that's what they know. And Ring of Honor to them is now another television product. And they want they want an alternative to WWE because they clearly are like these people are probably more dissatisfied with WWE than like even you know our circle is, and you know less uh, into what they're doing, and 
they want an alternative, but they don't want to look that hard, you know? Like they, they basically, they want it on American television. And this is where I think New Japan has done a lot of, uh, has gained a lot of ground in the past like year and a half being on access is, and you know, it, you've heard Mark Cuban talk about in interviews and stuff and how they're doing really great numbers lately. Or, you know, sometimes they'd be up to a is they're probably drawing a lot of that casual, hardcore audience now. And, you know, so, but, but this is the audience, right? These are not people who are subscribing to DT Universe. They're probably not even subscribing to New Japan World because, you know, you know, you can basically figure out that Access is doing better numbers than right. New Japan World has in global subscribers. So you have this group, this base of people that want to watch wrestling on American television and they want an alternative WWE because they don't like WWE but they're not really willing to do like, you know, all the wacky stuff, you know, us, the, the quote unquote, I don't, I, I don't mean this in like an elitist way, but I mean this in like the quote unquote real hardcores, you know, like they're not willing to do all this, you know, reading through Google translate and all this other shit we do to try to like, you know, follow like Japanese wrestling or like follow Lucha or like get really into like, you know, WWN even, or like other smaller indies. So it's like casual hardcores, I think is a great way to put it. Or you can just put it as like TV wrestling fans who don't like WWE, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think the lone exception out of that group, as far as like other promotions, I'm sure that a lot of them are at least aware of PWG or watch yeah. PWG. But I think that like that's the only exception of promotions that aren't on. Out of the promotions that are on TV, that would be the lone exception. Because I feel like, you know, they would, I mean, I'm sure they talk about PWG all the time as well. And they'd be super aware of that. Yeah. So so these are like people who, you know, like they they want something different. And Ring of Honor, you know, whatever else it is, you know, um, and I know I, I'm as sick as like the Young Bucks and the Bullet Club as anybody, but at least they come off as actual human beings most of the time, which I think is a big deal. It's like you feel like you're watching – you feel like you're watching human beings act – behave in a way human beings behave – not necessarily, which you don't always feel watching WWE television. But um, I don't know. Do you guys have any more thoughts on this? Uh, no. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's uh, looking for television products used to be how it was back on the Monday Night Wars where, hey, you don't like what WCW is doing? See what the WWF is doing or ECW or something like that. And I think the term casual hardcore is, is interesting in a way. And I think the way they kind of latched on to Ring of Honor is Kind of one of the more interesting stories of the year. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's, it goes back a few years, I think. Yeah, yeah like the last couple of years. Yeah, and it's interesting that you know, because um, I I was somebody who um, I actually started watching Ring of Honor uh, during the HD Net years. Um, I caught on in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and I di- I didn't really. At first, I was just watching it sporadically. Um, but once, uh, I think right towards the end of the, uh, HT net run, that's where I like really started to get in it. And that kind of sort of how it became like my alternative to, I guess, WWE and TNA, which were the, uh, I guess the two promotions I was watching at the time. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think the casual hardcore thing is just really interesting. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, you have that and it's and it's weird because you it, I feel like you really don't see that like especially like on Twitter you really don't see that fan base per se yeah in our bubble certainly we don't see it mm. yeah um th- these are same people right like if if you look at like in two ten years ago in two thousand seven these people would be watching TNA 
I think that's like yeah. that's basically the analog. And when people talk about Ring of Honor being the new impact in a lot of ways, I think what you know when they're using like obviously even using like Bully Ray and Tommy Dreamer lately, and then like um, you know earlier in the year they were using the Hardys briefly. I think people say that in jest, but in a way they are the new TNA. And they're just far, you know, like for all Delirious' faults as a booker, and oh boy, does he have a lot of faults as a booker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about a lot of them on this show probably. But for all of his faults as a booker, he's better than Vince Russo. I don't <laughs> think most people would argue with that. And certainly he and Ring of Honor have done a much better job at monetizing that audience and getting them to show, out, show up to, to live events than Impact did. I think it's a very similar audience, or probably even a similar sized audience as Impact had ten years ago. Because people forget now they they had they used to draw you know pretty decent ratings on Spike, and it's probably about the same size audience. But Ring of Honor does a better job of getting these people to actually you know pay to see them, pay to go to shows. You know, so yeah, I think Impact used to draw a million on Spike or something like that. I don't know if... Yeah, something close to that. Yeah, I think... I mean, who knows with Ring of Honor? I've heard, like, 400 to maybe half a million people. And you really can't measure it because it's, you know, it's all over the country at all these different times. So you really... It's not like you can gauge, like, oh, one two-hour program every, you know, every Thursday night at 8 o'clock because you have to gauge all these different, you know, one-hour shows at, like, 11 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning and... Yeah. whatever like that so it's really hard because it's you know it's really hard to judge a rating when it's like you know there's different times all over the country and not everywhere in the country mm. yeah so if ring of honors has a smaller tv on so it just makes it more impressive but yeah either way they're just they're they're better at monetizing the the television audience than impact was at monetizing a similar to even bigger television audience yeah, and something actually interesting that I just remembered. Um, there's someone on Twitter who I um, I followed through long for a long time through YouTube and whatnot, and he went to a Ring of Honor show. Uh, I want to say it's Oklahoma City. It was Ring of Honor's first show in Oklahoma City, like two years ago. And something interesting that he mentioned at the time that he actually just brought up recently that I just remembered is that he was talking to people at the show, and I think. RH was running there because I think they have a, and as is the case for most of their shows, they run where they have Sinclair affiliates. Yeah. Um, they have a Sinclair affiliate, I guess, in OKC somewhere. Uh, but he, I thought something that was interesting that he mentioned at the, at the time is that most of the fans were there. Like they knew of WWE, obviously, and they followed Ring of Honor. But most of those people that he talked to there, like, had, like, knew nothing of TNA. And when I mean knew nothing, like they did not even know that TNA had existed. For like, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so I I just thought that was like really fascinating, and it, and I think it's something that uh, I think Joe has mentioned on the flagship a couple of times, where when he's gone to shows in San Antonio over the last couple of years, you know, the fan base that's going to Ring of Honor now is obviously so much different than it was, you know, even like six or seven years ago. Mm, that's interesting because the New York. Maybe it's a difference with New New York is just maybe so hardcore, right? That right. They, that they already know all this. But yeah, I mean, they were they were still talking about Impact last year, definitely, and you know, just listening to people online. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that these people are like, I don't, I don't want to say act like we're like dismissing these people or, I don't know. you know, saying that they're like lesser or whatever. But like, 
It's just a different kind of fan, I think. It's interesting to follow their habits and see, like, what's up? It's just interesting to see what their habits are, you know, Mm, follow what they like, what their kind of what their mindset is. I mean, they've latched onto something, obviously, with the Young Bucks and Bullet Club Mm -hmm. that they don't feel like they're getting out of uh, mainstream wrestling. And trying to define what that is exactly is can be difficult, and it's especially difficult for me because I don't, you know, I don't really see the appeal. But maybe you guys, what do, what do, what do you think they're getting out of the Bucks and out of the Bullet Club? What is, I mean, they're clearly the biggest draw. We all we all agree with that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think people just think it's cool in a way that these guys are just kind of having fun, and I think there's a respect for them kind of being on their own schedule and doing their own thing and making headway. I mean, what what's cool in wwe is anything i mean any everything is just such yeah. corporate speak and just so nothing's organic everything just feels like it's been gone through eight writers and, and it had to be like 10 levels of approval nothing feels you know spontaneous and, and organic yeah, and yeah. a certain uh, joyousness to the bullet club in a way and it's it's something i certainly respect more than i enjoy but you know it's connecting with people in a way because i guess they just it just feels real in a way do you remember yeah, that like whole embarrassing period where they were they were trying to like have pretend spawn spontaneity? Like when they had like, you know, I just remember Batista like doing oh, an interview. Like, age or like, something. Yeah, like some fucking kid like runs up and does the Batista pose in front of him. We're supposed to believe that this guy like not only ran past everybody to get on camera, but like nobody made a move to stop right. him. When like normally, if a wrestler, if a fan actually does jump in the ring, like the wrestlers immediately start beating the shit out of him. And security like grabs the fan immediately. But we're supposed to believe one got all the way backstage and like, yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, even if you buy it, like, who cares? Like, so what? Pay per view. That too. But but yeah, I, just, I don't know. Maybe think of that because that, that is a big problem. Is they just don't have like not, if you watch the shows, it's just so overproduced. It is, yeah. Yeah, then makes it... moments like, I guess, from this past Monday as we're recording this, where you, and you have uh, Stephanie McMahon comes out and treats pretty much the entire, I guess the, she treated the entire, or perceived as treating the entire Raw women's roster like a bunch of children. And like, she's the teacher. And she's like, oh, you know, we're doing the Royal Rumble thing. And, you know. It's a field stuff. trip, kiddies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. And then, Ms. McMahon's taking you to the Rumble. Right. And then, but I think with, like, especially like recently i think it's become more or starting to become more of just anti-authority and like you know with the whole the whole club invasion and now the whole you know the cease and desist thing and how like the unbooks turned that and i think they when they made those t-shirts the cease and desist t-shirts like the very end of that month in in like two days it became like the fastest or the most grossing t-shirt highest grossing t-shirt on the pro wrestling t-store <laughs> It's like, and yeah, and I just think it's probably more along, especially after that incident, it's becoming more anti-authority as well. And people like that who are sort of looking for an alternative, you know, they like anti-authority stuff, I would imagine, so. They like that, they probably like the fact that they don't, I mean, I'm sure a big, a big part of it is just thumbing your nose at, like, let's, let's be, let's be real. They do not like WWE, and they enjoy the fact that these people are thumbing their nose at WWE. And, you know, the Young Bucks talk about how much money they're making and T-shirt sales and how they've turned down WWE deals and, you know, they make more money doing this. And you have a guy like Cody who, you know, was for all of his faults, and he has many faults, um, he, like, he is still a – it's a great fit as far as, like, 
and an ex WWE guy can be like, Hey, they treated me like crap. They put me in these stupid gimmicks. I don't do steroids. So, you know, I, I wasn't what they wanted, but look at me now, basically. So it's a great fit for their whole message. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't, anything, anything else about the general appeal of the bullet club and why that's connecting with fans so strongly? No, I think we covered it. It's just, uh, it's certainly, it's certainly the big thing Ring of Honor can hang its head on, at least for the moment. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's always been the question of what would happen if the New Japan and Ring of Honor thing fell, you know, like fell through and they didn't have the Bullet Club anymore. And I think, I think that is probably actually overblown. I think the, the real question is, would they have the Young Bucks? Because mm. I, yeah. I think mm-hmm. if you wear the Bullet Club name, you know, it, it, I'm sure it would hurt them. But if the Young Bucks were still there, I don't think it would be as big of a deal as some people might think. Like, if, okay, if you had the Young Bucks and Cody there and you called it, like, I don't know, um, whatever the fuck you want to call it, they would... It, it, would it could be just the elite. Yeah, it could be the elite. It could be whatever. I'm sure they would still draw about the same. Maybe a little bit less in, like, T-shirt sales, but it wouldn't... I don't think it would, like, die or anything. No. But now, if you take away the Young Bucks... You know, if you take away the Young Bucks, then what do you have is is a better question. And right. that's where I think they'd be in a lot of trouble because there really aren't a lot of other like what are the other acts from Ring of Honor that are drawing excitement, drawing fans to the building, the fans really want to pay to see. I don't I, I think they would struggle mightily. If they like you know, if New Japan USA came in and really decided to run a real promotion and they pulled the Bucks and you know they I, I mean I, I know the Bucks are I think technically signed with both. So I don't think yeah. they them, but like let's say the Bucks leave Ring of Honor, you know, and sign exclusively New Japan or even with WWE or something. I think that would be really damaging for Ring of Honor, and then you would see maybe like the like the chickens come home to roost, sort of, of yeah. not build, not building anybody else up. And I think an important thing to keep in mind too is that I I mean I this is not I don't know this for a fact, but just based on some of the people that they that Ring of Honor has brought in this year. And some of the things they've done, I have to think that the Young Bucks in Ring of Honor right now are more than just talents. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel like that they have. I mean, it's not like just they're they're signed to Ring of Honor. I mean, at this point, I imagine that they have some sway in terms of at least their creative. Well, how or, could they not? Yeah, <laughs> like they yeah. Have, they have every they have all the power. In that. I, mean, I I mean, I I fully believe that they're that they are the sole reason that Chuck Taylor is in Ring of Honor right now. I mean, and plus, you know, and then you got somebody like, how, you know, who could have guessed that Scorpio Sky would be getting booked in Ring of Honor in 2017? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a SoCal guy, um, so yeah, I mean, I I think that's something to consider too. I mean, yes, there are talents, but especially now they're they're getting they're they're definitely i think more than just that i mean that's that's not to say that that would stop them from leaving if they decided to leave but yeah no no, no. Well, i'm saying with everything we're saying like yeah they just have so much leverage that they right they probably can do whatever they want they can't yeah, say and, you know. and, I, and i think because they know that they're the most valuable asset that roh has that next year when their contracts come up they will they can afford or they can you know re, they'll Force ring of well, not force ring of honor, but ring of honor will be more obliged to pay them more money to stay. Yeah. yeah. Now we talk about kind of the doomsday scenario of New Japan 
pulling talent. Do we think that's going to happen anytime soon? Because they, I mean, they ran the Long Beach shows last year and they're running shows in March and that seems to be it for now. They're running a show in March. It's not yeah, even running, yeah. a show. So, yeah. I mean, what per, like what percentage do we think? I mean, I think it's, I think it's going to, I think it's going to really depend on, I mean, we've obviously heard about, you know, the plans for the New Japan USA brand. And until we they we know what it is and until it actually comes to fruition, I don't think we can really say because we you don't know how I mean, yeah, you know, a show once a year or twice a year in Long Beach could be very successful, but is a touring brand that has and I think that this has been mentioned, I think maybe Kadani mentioned this at some point, a touring brand is based in the West Coast that's seventy five percent Americans. Is having, and I'm sure Bullet Club would be a big part of that. But like running regular, semi-regular shows, like how, like is is the are they going to get the same amount of drawing power every time? Like, is it going to fall off? I mean, you know? look, I've I've talked about this before. Dragon, like, okay, if you look back at the lessons of what of what Dragon Gate USA was, I think I've said this before. But if Dragon Gate USA had been them running, you know, let's say two to three times a year with all the Dragon Gate talent or most of the Dragon Gate talent, instead of trying to make it a real promotion, it'd probably still be going today. So, you know, if I was in charge, you know, if I, if I was Kadani, I would have New Japan USA be exactly what it's been so far. I would, like, maybe slowly increase the number of times to come over and go to different places. But, like, I would do March in Long Beach. I would do maybe something around the summer again in, in on the East Coast, maybe one other sh- show during the year during, in, the, in the Midwest. But that's all I would do. And I think that's the perfect thing to keep to keep them special, to keep the interest in the um, in the in the American fan base with Japan, which with, with New Japan. Uh, that's what I would do if I was them, and that obviously would not really threaten Ring of Honor at all. No, Ring of Honor could, you know, live to learn to work with that. Even though, you know, it makes them look. It. I don't know if it matters to them. Does it matter to them? They look inferior to New Japan, even when New Japan's running in the states a few times a year. That's a great question. Everybody made all those like cuck jokes, you know, when New Japan like came out with the U.S. belt and debuted that on a Ring of Honor show. But like, I don't know if it really matters to them at the end of the day that they, um, you know, that they they have to like appear second to New Japan even in their own, um, even with New Japan running in their own country. I mean, Joe Koff had those insane quotes that like I I honestly don't know if he really believes it or if he. Um, or if he just is saying that because what else he's supposed to say? I assume it's probably the latter, but who the fuck knows? I mean, I think. I mean, he is the COO, and this. I mean, you and I look at that, and we we roll our eyes. But to someone that was on like the AV Club website, who yeah, probably doesn't attract the most hardcore wrestling fan. Maybe someone looks at that like, oh, hey, Ring of Honor is pretty impressive. Maybe I'll check it out. I mean, given damaging lies CEOs have told over the years, it's pretty benign, if if not outright ridiculous. But- so the quote for people who didn't see the quote, it was like, you know, Joe Coff was like, "Where I was asked, you know, um, you know, I'm always asked about New Japan. You know, has New, how has New Japan helped Ring of Honor success? And I wonder if in Japan they're not asking if Ring of Honor has lots to do with New Japan success. You know, and obviously a lot of people made fun of that quote because it's a ridiculous, stupid quote. But if you know what you're talking about. But I saw a couple of people being like, "Well, you know, he's just working," and I guess if you look at it like it, uh, you look at it like that, you know, it could just be an example of him trying to spin it and be like, 
you know, we're we're gonna like make ourselves. Hopefully, this makes us look good too. So maybe they're okay with it. In other words, if, if New Japan USA isn't gonna be like a real full time thing, maybe they can spin it. Maybe they don't care that they're coming off as the, the number two to them in their own country. You know, maybe as long as they make money, they don't give a shit. But if New Japan ever did try to go full time, like a real full time promotion, that would undoubtedly be a threat to Ring of Honor. So. I don't, and I don't really know what that what that split would look like. Yeah, and that's going to be just so hard to tell because, again, until it actually happens, we really don't know what it's going to look like or how well it's actually going to do. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to know until we see what happens. We don't, there's no way to know how they would even untangle themselves at this point or who, what talent would end up where. But, um, I mean, it feels weird. It feels really hard to speculate on. So, so I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, okay, so moving on from this subject, I guess, uh, let's talk about the weekly, or let's talk about the, the roster. Because obviously the Ring of Honor roster, you know, had a lot of changes throughout the year. Um, at the, the very start of the year, they lost, you know, a number of guys. So, Joe, why don't you, why don't you take us through some of the roster changes? Uh, there was a huge kind of exodus at the beginning of the year. Not the guys left right away, but you knew they were leaving guys like Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, Donovan Dijak, uh, Leo Rush. Uh, let's see, Jason Kincaid, Keith Lee, those two went to Evolve, and probably some I'm forgetting. But, I mean, to me, if guys want to go to WWE, there's not a lot Ring of Honor can do about it to stop them. I think that's just that's just kind of the nature of the beast and where they are in the business. But to lose someone like Keith Lee and see what he's done in WWN is really a really bad look for them. Like you let that guy go. That's especially given how badly you need some homegrown stars right now. That's a real bad look. Yeah, and I think um, I think Keith Lee leaving. I think one of the reasons why he left actually has funny hindsight now. But I think one of the reasons why he left had to do with low slam because i think at the time i think beyond wrestling had signed sort of a not a full-time deal with flow slam but i guess it was a deal where they would like air an x amount of shows not not all of their shows but like every so often they would air on flow slam and i think i don't think it was the sole decision of his but i think that was part of it where i think roh had put in new provisions with flow slam in, in their contract saying you know they can't work for flow slam promotions and even though Beyond wasn't uh, a full-time Flow Slam promotion, they still had shows on Flow Slam. And I guess that sort of led Keith Lee to choosing, or I guess it was part of the reason why he left. Um, but it's interesting that like, he was the only one out of the bunch that didn't, who left. I guess, I guess him and Jason Kincaid are in this category too, where they left, but they didn't leave to go. And I think this is a bigger story than even the guys who left, because it's, when guys leave for WWE, that's one thing. But when guys are leaving you for like Evolve, and WWN, that's something completely different, I think. Yeah. And we saw it in 2016 too with ACH. Um, was there somebody else in 2016 who left for Evolve? Right. He went to WWE though. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was really just ACH, I guess. But um, but yeah, I don't. You like you guys say, just it's a bad look, and it makes people think like, well, this isn't the. This isn't like the uh, the cool place to be, and you know I'm sure all these what all these talent departures did was just add to this feeling that this is the you know the Bullet Club presents Ring of Honor because it's like then you look at like who's on the Ring of Honor side 
and you're you're left with an increasingly you know increasingly small group of guys and increasingly you know i would say uncool right like that's is that a big problem ring of honor is that the the, the non-ball club roster just isn't very isn't very interesting isn't very cool i mean yeah i think to the point where it, i mean I just remember, like, Kyle O'Reilly finally wins the world title in this almost years-long storyline. Gets his revenge on Adam Cole, and then he leaves the next week. Like, that. like yeah. um, seriously, like, the, like, he loses it at the Tokyo Dome in front and of him. In a terrible match in Wrestle Kingdom. I, in an interview with O'Reilly, even said, like, yeah, the, that was the bathroom break for the crowd. Yeah. Like you said, there's not a lot of, like, I mean, besides the Bullet Club and the New Japan guys they bring in, like, they're guys I like, but like you said, there's not like this hot star. Like they brought in earlier this year, they brought in David Starr. He worked like one match and he lost to uh, Josh the Goods Woods and uh, then he's been gone and that's a guy who has a lot of buzz and a kind of guy you'd want to have on your roster and he was there. I don't know what happened if it was just a tryout or a one-time thing, but he's gone and some of the people that have come on are just it's a bit of a head-scratcher. They, they do a very poor job, I feel like, of mining the indies you know and that used to be what they were good at is finding these like you know guys on the indies that are ready to break out and bringing them in and letting them break out there but it feels like evolve has taken that spot now i don't know if it's maybe it's just easier to convince somebody to sign with evolve when like i don't does evolve even do contracts i don't even know i mean well, that, maybe I know Riddle and keith lee are signed to wwn contracts right so like, yeah. but then you might have a lot of other guys that just are like, they, it's a, you're able to get them into work for you, but without like maybe the thing it's not as restrictive. Yeah, well, in the sense, you can only work so many places when you're in in Ring of Honor, with, and when WWE, you can pretty much work anywhere, and they even have like an out to go to WWE, from what I understand. Essentially, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So like, that's probably just a lot more appealing to people than being like, well, you're locked into Ring of Honor for two years. <laughs> so, I think I think part of it as well is that you mentioned like you know. Years ago, Ring of Honor was so good at scouting talent, and now Evolve is. Well, I think the common thread is there. There is is Gabe. Yeah. Because as we all know, Gabe he's he's like uh, very good at finding new talent. And even like just recently, some of the Evolve shows have featured a lot of new talent that he's brought in. And he, in general, he's just really and he's just really good at finding that. Whereas you know, Ring of Honor, although they technically they've been successful they mainly rely on seminars. Like if they want to even like look at you, you have to go through one of their seminars. Yeah. Which is fucking stupid. I'm sorry. Like that's not, that shouldn't be how the, what, what is basically the number two promotion in America. Like that shouldn't be how they're, they're finding talent. It's like, right. it makes you look like a joke. Has yeah. their training school ever turned out like, and this goes back to when they started it in like, what, five, have they turned out like anyone of note? Not really. Right. I mean, I mean, like the biggest guy on the roster is probably Rhett Titus. Yeah, I mean, like Shane, Shane Hagedorn was a manager for a bit, and uh, Grizzly Redwood, I guess. But yeah. Grizzly Redwood ended up being a bigger deal in Shakara. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, that they, what's his name was um, God. The first, the I remember the very first class. I guess that guy. It was his name, Davy Andrews. Davey Andrews yeah. yeah, like he it seemed like he had a ton of potential at first, and then he just like I think I guess he got hurt or something. And he was just gone. Yeah, he was barely there. Yeah. I guess if you want to gauge success, I mean, 
I guess you could call Cheeseburger the most successful because I mean oh, he yeah. did work, he did work the Tokyo Dome. He's worth the Tokyo Dome. So I totally forgot Cheeseburger was Ring of Honor student guy. That probably I mean he probably literally is the most successful um, student, Ring of Honor student of all time. Like I'm not I don't I can't think of a, a, one who I put above him. As as Rhett Titus or Shane Hackenorn been booked in the Tokyo Dome? Yeah, I mean Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger has been booked in the dome. He's over every time he goes to New Japan. Um, he's over as hell still. I, I mean, all the Ring of Honor shows I've ever been to. So, I mean, I, I get why they feel like they can't. They can only do so much with him. I still probably think they probably could have done more with him than they have. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like that—that that has to be the answer. I totally forgot he was. A, I totally forgot he's a Ring of Honor wrestling school guy. Um, and what's weird about? I mean, this is going to sound kind of an odd complaint, but they really botched the top prospect tournament this year and that's that's been a pipeline for like a lot of their roster like even guys who haven't won like, that's where uh, dalton castle got his first look in the company that's where punishment martinez yep. guys mm-hmm. first look, a bunch of guys have come in and this year it was just i mean the like i said the winner was josh woods who is okay i guess he's kind of like uh, a guy he's got he's kind of like an eighth generation matt riddle shooter guy uh, but yeah, you look at the guys they brought in, like Preston Quinn, who's been around. Like he might be older than I am, for God's sakes. And I know, when when that when that field came out, I just remember Twitter had a field day. Like, yeah, it's like yeah. And so, yeah, I, I mean, if one thing, if you don't know, but no one from that has gone on to do anything in the company, or even guys yeah. like last year, like um, you know, Leo Rush. That's great, but they they brought back Shaheem Ali and uh, Leon Saint Giovanni as coast to coast tag team, and they've they've at least been around. They've been a presence, but no one. Uh, Kingpin Brian Malone is doing some squash yeah. matches. I mean, the most was was Shane Taylor in it? I feel wasn't he? No, he. Was, I don't think he was. Okay, because I was gonna say that's probably the most interesting guy they had in it. But if he wasn't even in it, then yeah. The the only the only two guys that were in it this year that I either just had knowledge of or even cared about were uh, John Schuyler, who I think is like a PWX guy, and then Kurt Stallion, who was one of Elgin's students. Mm-hmm. They actually had they taped this that they were in the semifinals. They had a match against each other, and it was actually taped at the New York show that back in March that you were that you and me were at, John. Uh, and I I thought the that was a I remember that being a really good match, but that was like the only good match in the tournament, really. But but, but getting back, I guess, to the roster in general, though, um, as the year went on, did they did they lose anybody else of note before? There's a big one now. It's but, Will Osprey, and it seems like War Machine. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, yeah, they're gonna lose War Machine. Yeah, War, War Machine was a weird one because I remember people were talking about like back in January that like at least Ray Rowe was leaving, and I guess they somehow stuck around the well, whole they, year. They, they got them. Didn't they? They got them to sign that dual contract. Yeah. So they got them to. They they basically kept them because they they were like, well, here, we'll we'll give you a new Japan run, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I understood it. But like, yeah, I, I assume they're gonna go to NXT now. Which is whatever. I, I don't. I'm not. My my heart is not going to break to lose War Machine from New Japan at least. I, I don't know how you guys feel. What did uh, they really, did they do much in Ring of Honor this year? I, I assume they were just too busy. I mean, they had some uh, some good stuff. They're always nice to have around. They weren't like you know a super tag team or anything. Yeah, they, they they really weren't a. Pre- I mean, they were around, but they really weren't a presence this year. Yeah, because like they they were on so many New Japan tours and stuff. So I guess that makes sense. Um. As far as far so they they're gonna lose War Machine. Will Osprey to me is the is the weirdest. Like okay, so they they sign him. They they make a big deal, right? Remember last year when Paul Heyman brings him on Heyman Hustle, 
in in the Britain to be like, oh, who are you going to sign with, Cam, Ring of Honor, Evolve? And they make this big fucking deal out of getting him and Marty Scroll to Ring of Honor. Do you got do you guys know how many actual Ring of Honor dates? Not counting the shows in Japan, which I don't think should count. They're, those are, you know, yeah. those are basically mm-hmm. new Japan shows. How many dates does Will Ospreay work for Ring of Honor? I want to say I think I looked this up the other day because I was curious for something. I think it's like I want to say maybe like three, maybe. I know I know he worked. I know he worked at the New York show, the first one, and he worked. So gonna, Supercard I'm of gonna Honor. You, I'm going to give you the answer in a sec. Let's see here because I have the, I have his cage match right in front of me. So if we don't count any of the Ring of Honor and New Japan Honor Rising shows, which, you know, those are, again, those are joint shows, War of the World, same thing, joint shows. If we're only counting Ring of Honor proper, he appeared on those first two shows in Britain, the Reach for the Sky shows, November 2016, our first three shows in Britain. Then he appeared on Final Battle, 2016, uh, December 2nd. He appeared on the weekly television the next on December 4th. Doesn't appear again until March 4th in Manhattan Mayhem, the show you and I are at. Here's April 1st in the WrestleMania weekend. And then, you know, he's he's there in May for the War of the Worlds, which I don't even think should count. And he's there for a TV taping with War of the Worlds. He's completely gone for the next five fucking months <laughs> from May to October. No Ring of Honor appearances, joint show or not. He shows up again for the Ring of Honor New Japan Global War shows in October. And that's it. Until Final Battle 2017, we lose to Matt Taven, which presumably was his last appearance, other than I guess he did a job on the TV taping, right? Yeah, I, I think I think I saw he wrestled lethal, but I'm not sure. So non-TV, non-joint show, he appeared on, and not even kind of, after those first three weekend shows, he appeared Final Battle 2016, Manhattan Mayhem, Supercard of Honor, Final Battle 2017. Four fucking shows. That's all the appearances that Will Ospreay made for Ring of Honor. As they made such a big deal about signing him, he basically was a New Japan like he was a New Japan guest. He yep. appeared about as much as any as a lot of other New Japan guest wrestlers appeared. So I think Kushida appeared much more than him. Kushida appeared well, more, yeah. He was there all the time. So so okay, I, what what was the point of making a big deal out of the signing of this guy that you couldn't get any fucking dates of? Like, doesn't isn't that the kind of thing that makes him look like fucking jokes? Yeah, I mean, I mean, just have—I mean, he's one of the most buzzed-about wrestlers in the world, and having him leave to go to WWN is another terrible look. And Lim's a Keith Lee—I don't know why they signed him if they couldn't get dates for him. I guess I mean they did kind of take him away. I mean, him and Mari Skrull—I think they took him away. I don't know if they were under contract to WWN, but they were kind of associated with them. And yeah, and yeah. so I mean, especially when they were losing so much talent, it was probably nice to say, "Hey, we got to win," so to speak. But you know, if you're not going to do anything, I mean, I, I think he's done really well when he's when he's been there. He just hasn't been there. But, I mean, I think with Marty Scroll, I mean, with, with Marty Scroll, it's like that. The, you have these two guys. Marty Scroll obviously was going to become a Ring of Honor guy that occasionally appeared in New Japan, and Will Osprey was the exact opposite. He's like, "This is New Japan is my promotion, and that's what I'm going to work." And it, you know, it's pretty clear that he was not going to, you know, take off New Japan tours to go wrestle for Ring of Honor. So you're basically got a guy who, you know, that, that's it. He's going to work his New Japan tours. And if he has some dates here or there, he'll work Ring of Honor. And obviously he still works in Britain too. Doesn't he work in Australia now too? Isn't that like the other thing? I think but he's this, I think he's trying to move down there last I yeah. heard. 
So like you, you've got a guy basically that just you know he, he you're you're clearly his bottom priority. Like if you look at his cage match, it's New Japan, New Japan. You know he appeared a little bit over the summer in Britain. Um, you know he appeared more in for um, what Culture Pro Wrestling, a date here or there at Rev Pro. So yeah, he did a lot. He did a long tour in the summer of Britain. Looking at this, like that's what he did basically when he wasn't wrestling with New Japan. So basically, Britain was his bigger priority than Ring of Honor. So, like, that's just that's just how it is. I guess what we're lost. I, I think part of it too is that if if, if even I, if I realized too, sorry, looking at the dates, he he did Britain during the G one. So basically, he wasn't on the G one dates, which makes sense because you know the G one's all about the heavyweight. So he didn't bother working those undercards, and he did all those Britain dates then instead. But why? So if he's quote unquote signed to Ring of Honor, why wasn't he at least working for Ring of Honor all summer? Well, you know? well the thing with that is actually. It's funny between there was a two month span over the summer where Ring of Honor literally ran just one show. Oh, well, I guess that answers my question. Yeah, between so then, between Best in the World in June, which is their June pay per view, and the uh, War of the Worlds tour they did in the UK at the end of August, they ran one TV taping in July, and that was it. So basically, you had a situation where you had a guy who you quote unquote signed but wasn't going to take any time off for you other than, you know, this tour that he wasn't going to work anyway. And that happened to coincide with when you're not running any shows either. So I guess it just worked out in a really, in a really weird way where it just, you're never going to, they're just never going to get the dates for him. Yeah. I think maybe, if, maybe if Frank wanted to have run shows then they couldn't yeah. book him. And I think it would have been better if, I mean, I'm all for like Will Ospreay wrestling, like, Dragon Lee, or in the Supercard of Honor match, where I think he was teaming with uh, Baldor Jr. against Dragon Lee and, and Jay White. Like, those are cool matches, but I think even if, even if he had limited dates, I think it would have been better if he had been used in a more meaningful way. Like, I think even Joe mentioned it on the flag, on the most recent flagship, the solo show he did. Like, if, it would have been at least a little better if they had, like, built him up for, like, a world title shot or something. Yeah. I mean, you've got this big star who... Whatever you think of his wrestling style, he's, you know, I know some people don't like him, but like, whatever you think of his wrestling style, like, he's a big deal right now, clearly. And, you know, the best you did with him was like have him, you know, in the 12 minute match with Dragon Lee and, you know, a, a 13 minute tag match with the Orlando shows. Just, it feels like such a waste. And that's kind of a theme of Ring of Honor, with Ring of Honor and Young Talent in the past few years. It's like, what a waste these runs were. Well, they, they had this guy, and now he's gone, you know? So I think that's a very fair criticism, honestly. But um, as far as far, but yeah, now now Osprey, you know, I guess whatever, it, I guess what you can say is Ring of Honor had some deal with him for, like, exclusivity in America. And, you know, he was he's going to work whatever dates he had. But that deal clearly was up after a year, and now he's decided – for WrestleMania weekend, the place he'd rather be clearly is with WWN. And, you know, what does that say for Ring of Honor? You know? Right. I, Ring of Honor, I, it could just be as simple as, you know, like Ring of Honor, WrestleMania weekend, it's one show, right? That's it for Ring of Honor. Yep. WWN, he can work like two or three shows. And, you know, whatever you think of Ring of Honor versus WWN, in the bubble of WrestleMania weekend, would anyone really are like WWN's a bigger deal, right? Well, yeah, especially with you know Daisuke Sakamoto being there, that's yeah. even bigger. Because when, like when do you get to see when do you get to see him in America? Yeah, 
I mean, like, if I was going to Mania Weekend, Ring of Honor would not be my priority. No. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. Will Ospreay probably just wants that, wants that buzz, you know? He wants that WrestleMania Weekend buzz that comes with working WWN now. And, you know, whether or not, whether this means his Ring of Honor career is over or he's just taking a break to go work Mania Weekend, who knows? But uh, if that is all of his Ring of Honor career, <laughs> what a career it was, I guess. Um. I mean, his highlight was holding the TV title for, I think, like two days. Yeah. 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 So do, do you have anything else to say about Will Ospreay? No, just uh, I think he's going to, I mean, whatever they do, they could put him in with Walter or Sekimoto or almost anyone, or Keith Lee or anyone. It's going to be yeah. blow away anything he did in Ring of Honor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the Will Ospreay thing. Very weird, and I think people were really stunned by that announcement. Uh, that he was going over to to hmm. WWN. Really, I think he caught a lot of people by completely by like just blindsided, right? Like, I don't think there was, was there any indication that was going to happen. No, but he, I mean, he was around so often, you really didn't think about his place yeah. in Ring of Honor. Yeah. Just barely there, so so that's that topic, I guess. Um, that basically the the roster changes. Is there anybody that you think? I don't know. Like, do, what? what the, let's say the roster right now. Do they need more guys? Is it? Is it should they be really looking for, you know, more guys to add to this roster? I mean, they they did bring in some guys I really like. They added Jonathan Gresham. I think he's a good guy to have, especially for a television wrestler. Chuck mm-hmm. Taylor finally got a chance. He's doing. Uh, I think he's doing really well. I mean, I don't know if you want to have how Cody is, this because he started last December and he's they've certainly I mean they've done a lot with him. You can't argue that. How has the crowd acted Chuck Taylor? I was, I was like, he, is he getting good reactions? Yeah, I think that, yeah, they like him a lot. Yeah, the best best friends were pretty over at Final Battle. So I, I'd, I'd say they're they're getting good reactions. And I think they actually, I just saw this today or yesterday, they released a t-shirt with, it's a best friends t-shirt where I guess they are depicting Chuck, Chucky e. T and uh, Trent as cats. <laughs> they were like weird, like cat team shirt. I don't know, but but no, yes, they they were pretty over at Final Battle in the building when I was there. Um. Okay, so I guess that pretty much covers like some of the big roster changes. And they they did bring in like what we talked about Scorpio Sky. Yeah, um, who, I mean, it was the randomest guy to bring in, but he. I mean, I think he's looked good. Flip Gordon, another one. Oh, yeah, I think Flip Gordon's also been a good addition. He's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. he, he's actually like a really exciting young talent. You can. Imagine it's going to develop. He's been putting some decent high-profile spots. He went down to like Mexico. He's worked in Mexico. We had a match with Ultimo Guerrero down there. He's like, didn't he a- beat Ultimo Guerrero? What's that? Didn't he beat Ultimo Guerrero? Uh, not the match. I mean, he may have. They, they may have had a series, the one I watched. Uh, I, think, I think I heard they mentioned on Ring of Honor TV in like passing on commentary that he like pinned Ultimo Guerrero in like a tag match or something. Well, yeah, he, maybe he pinned him in a fall or something like that. I'll have to double yeah. check. But yeah, he's. I mean, he's a an actual genuine blue chip prospect. You can see has a good future if they can hang on to him. Yeah, I I guess, guess, there was another guy named Flip. I think that I always confused him with. He used to be like, remember like Flip? He was like what the one half of air like arrow form, right? Flip Kendrick. Uh, yeah. yeah, was it arrow form? Something like I that. Think it, I think it was called arrow form. Maybe. Yeah. But Flip Kendrick Flip. Lewis Linden. Yeah, there you go. So not Flip. Like when I first started seeing his name, I'm like. What happened to the other half of Arrow form? But it's like, oh no, it's a different guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
Who who else have they added this year? Anybody? He wasn't added. I mean, he was added technically last year, but is he really got a big push this year? And that's punishment Martinez. Yeah. I mean, I honestly really didn't think much of him because after the talk prospect tournament, his big involvement last year was with the whole Carino, Whitmer, Kevin Sullivan bullshit. But mm-hmm. after he kind of broke away from Whitmer earlier this year, he's really started to he's like ever since he broke away from Whitmer, he's had a really good year on his own. And I think throughout the year he's got the chance to more like showcase what he can do. Like the fact that he could pull off some of the dives that, you know, ACH did is for a guy his size is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have to say, like, they've done some good, not so much the, I mean, they've, using the roster, like, we don't see BJ Whitmer anymore. They broke up the cabinet, which was, like, the worst gimmick. And (laughs) there was a rebellion for a bit, but they just broke that whole squad up, which is just, I think everyone's essentially better off, except maybe Rhett Titus. But everyone. Yeah, what the fuck are the dogs? Oh, it's him and um, Will Ferrara, and they just bark, and they're. I think yeah. they have like a like a YouTube show. I've seen a, they've had a couple of YouTube videos on their on like a Titus mm-hmm. channel or something. But it, it looks it looks very obnoxious. Yeah, I, I mean, mean they're, are they he, they're heels? I assume, right? They're not likable. I'll say that. Yeah, not likable at all. I mean, I kind of feel bad for Rhett because if you look back, he and Kenny win the tag titles, and then Kenny leaves for TNA. Rhett becomes the romantic touch, and it's just like whatever. Kenny comes back, no one really reacts. They're in the re- Rebellion in the cabinet, and now the dogs. So, not that he's like you know this this prospect, but they they could have done a little bit better by him. And then Kenny, obviously, they gave the big push as a singles guy. Yeah, how, how, how did that work out? Uh, I, I heard, I heard they, they just they just didn't give shit at all, right? No, I mean he just doesn't connect, and I mean he's an okay, perfectly fine wrestler. They had a nice story with him. They had him beat Kushida for the TV title. It all seemed very nice. I, he just doesn't connect with people. The, that, the whole deal, the whole deal, the whole deal was that he was going to be on Big Brother, right? Uh, bachelor, bachelor, I should say, Bachelorette, yeah. Okay, and, and he was, and that was. I guess they thought maybe that would add some sort of mainstream fame to him. If it did, it didn't translate at all to any kind of reaction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so, I, 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 th- I think he's fine, but I mean, he's he's not more than he really isn't much more than that. I mean, he had he had good matches, but nothing memorable, really. And now he's lost the TV title already, anyway. So who knows what? Yeah. If he, yeah. I mean, he was like he was a babyface, right? As TV champion. Yeah. Okay. So I just it was it felt, it's one of those weird things where reading the results and like Ring of Honor turns don't always make a lot of sense. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, he's a babyface now. And it's like okay, like the other one, or he's a heel now. The one that the one that really like maybe you guys can give me some context is what the fuck was the deal with Daniels and Kazarian? Uh, they were. They had this kind of plan where Daniels uh, to win the championship. Right. Under, I, under I, saw, the- I saw that, and like, and Daniels won the title, and was a you know, it was a big babyface moment. And then yes. I, I read, it and it's like, well, now they're heels. So I'm like, well, what, what, what happened? Yeah, he what? lost to Cody, and the crowd chanted for Cody, yeah. and that upset Daniels, so he turned heel, and he vowed to ruin the fun, all the fun in Ring of Honor, with silly yeah, strings. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was the plan, but it, I think it, the turn was definitely in response to that match at Best of the World, where the crowd was very pro Cody and very anti Daniels, even though Daniels was the babyface. And then the next side of the TV tapings, they just turned him. They turned both him and Cass heel. 
Right. And this is and here's and this is my problem with like, you know, characterization in Ring of Honor. It's like, okay, the the Bullet Club are the most popular guys, clearly. Mm-hmm. Right. Half the time it feels like, are they cool heels or are they just baby faces, you know? And it's like and the Daniels thing, clearly they're trying to give them heels to go up against, Daniels and Kazarian. And then, you know, but then with the Cody and Dalton thing, clearly Dalton's a baby face. It's like, what are the Bullet Club exactly? Yeah, they just kind of are whatever they happen to be at yeah. that night. If they're up against baby faces, they're heels. If their crowd likes them, then they're baby faces. It's just very interesting and very, it's, I mean, you know, it's in a way, it's very like almost Japanese because obviously you've had things like that. Like in, in Toriumon, you had the crazy Max back in the day. They would, they would be like baby face when they fought M2K, but here when they fought the home army. And, you know, New Japan, you know, up to today is obviously very fluid in their in their unit reactions. But I don't know if that if that works in an American audience. And like it's I mean, I guess it works to a degree, but doesn't it lead to like baby faces that just don't seem like I don't know. Like when when I, I try to watch some of those global war shows like on on tape and it almost looked like um, you know, the, the ones in the Midwest I'm talking about. And it felt like you know, here's the Bullet Club. They're the stars, and then here's this random other collection of guys that are going to oppose the Bullet Club, and they're ostensibly baby faces. But they felt like it felt like I was watching Sold Out, and it felt like they were WCW. You know, and it's like, yeah, they're here, and they're no one's cheering them. Like, there's nothing worse than baby faces that are not being cheered. I no. guess is my point. And that's what the whole Ring of Honor roster felt like watching those shows, which, you know, I don't know long-term if that's a good thing to have these, maybe you just need to run with the book club as like faces, not really changing anything, but let them go up against like actual heels. Like, you know, instead of having them go up against just desperately uncool baby faces. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Am I am I totally off base? You guys can tell me. You watch more than I do. I think, I think the only two guys that I can think of that have been cheered against the Bullet Club that I've seen have been Dalton Castle, obviously, um, and then and I I know saw this really at Final Battle at least. You know, Jay Lethal and Flip Gordon were both were both got got fairly good responses in their matches against Bullet Club guys, but you know. On on those Midwest shows, you know, it was really just like you said, sort of like sold out. And yeah. especially, especially when they're doing stuff like the ten boots thing, where they where they have like people who aren't even in the match running in and getting in the ring and just doing whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> you know what I mean? That ten boot spot was the most annoying thing. Yeah, I mean, it's fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so to say, I mean, I don't know. What do you think about this, Joe? What do you think about the the does it matter that if, if the Bullet Club aren't baby faces or are they healed? Does, does that still matter? Uh, it's going to matter eventually, I think, if you run out of, you know, if it confuses the audience or you run out of, you know, people for them to go against. And I think anytime you make a comparison to sold out, that's not a, that's not a good thing. <laughs> Global War Chicago to me felt like sold out. That's what it felt like. I don't know. Do you disagree with that comparison? No, no. I mean, it was certainly better than, than sold out, but the overall feel of it yeah certainly did and that did not turn out well for wcw yeah actually i think it might be called war of the worlds i don't know what it was called whatever it was global, no, no, it was global wars okay they're one of the ones when i went to but yeah i mean like just 
it feels like you need either you need like something else to go up against the bullet club that's cool and maybe dalton castle is that and maybe that's fine but like maybe you need something else like in the undercard that that'll that actually appeals to fans and then you could have like dueling chance and all that shit but like if you just have a heel unit that's really the true baby faces and a bunch of uncool baby faces that are there to just be the the fucking uh you know the Washington Generals or their Harlem Globetrotters, it just feels like very, you know, that the the Harlem Globetrotters are baby faces for a reason, you know? It's like, it would be like if the Harlem Globetrotters were in the heels, it wouldn't really work. <laughs> no, so, I kind of want to see that. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a, it, it's a cool, it's an interesting discussion here because uh, it's, it's like, it, it gets to like the core issues, I think, that Ringwater has with building so heavily around the Bullet Club. And maybe none of this shit matters anymore. Maybe they'll just keep printing money. I don't know, but it feels like it feels like eventually it's going to matter. You know, like the the NWO worked for a long time until it didn't work. Yeah, everything works till it doesn't, and especially in wrestling, to where you're like, oh, it's working now. It'll work forever. Is has never been the case. Yeah, it's like you need the you need that next thing, and I don't know what that next thing is no. in Ring of Honor. Um. Okay, but we talked a lot about the roster and stuff. Let's talk about the actual shows. Uh, the weekly television. You, I know that this is part of your push, your pitch to me about the show. Like, How is the weekly television? Because disclaimer here, I do not watch it. I haven't watched it in years. I have no idea. So you guys can, you guys can tell me. Well, well musical interlude. Um, I've seen, I believe, every episode. Uh, and I think it's interesting that you'll usually see a really good match every week usually at least something worth viewing it can and they've at times it's been way too rigid in its structure we have two matches in the main event and you know it's kind of the same thing every week they've played around with it a bit more they've had they had that one show that was just half angle and one long match they've closed out the show with angles uh a couple times this year so i I mean i think you could make a case it's the best show on television just in terms of quality wrestling i don't know what else would be up there. I think I, I would rank NXT a little bit above it. That but being said, but I, NXT is not on television. Well, I, I guess that's true. <laughs> but my I, thought, I, I thought that's where you were going with it. Okay, do let let's do this. Let's rank the weekly TV shows. What's if you were to put Ring of Honor up against Impact? Ring of Honor wins. Yes. Yeah. Ring of Honor against SmackDown. I would say a a good SmackDown is better than a good Ring of Honor, but SmackDown's been Kind of more missed than hit this year, so I would I would say Ring of Honor plus Ring of Honor is only an hour. Which, uh... Yeah, that's that's a big thing for me is that the fact that the show is only an hour, it's very easy to watch. So I can binge like just yesterday. I think I watched like a month's worth of TV, and it's so much easier to get through as opposed to like anything that WWE does. Um, Ring of Honor against Monday Night Raw. Oh, just in terms of volume, Ring of Honor by a landslide, and and yeah. and Raw may have had better better matches overall, but you got to get through the other two and a half hours. So you know, it's it, one thing. You know, Voice of Wrestling they had that tweet right, and they had this tweet that really pissed people off, where it's like, you know, oh, this is one of the worst WWE in ring years, you know, in the past twenty years or whatever, and people are like, well, what about all the great Roman Reigns matches on television? And you know, it's it's great. He, he, Roman Reigns. You know, I think he's a great wrestler. I think he's a very good in-ring wrestler. But if I had to sit through two and a, two and a half hours of bullshit 
to get your three and a quarter, three and a half star Rain Cesaro match or whatever, then what am I doing with my life? You know, like, are there really that few places in 2017 in wrestling to see like a, a three star to four even match that you feel like you have to sit for three hours of raw to do it. So that's why I think, you know, that whole, like, um, that whole WWE defense squad line of reasoning that, you know, raw has some very solid TV matches. Well, but it's the fucking show is three hours and it's almost unwatchable. Like, I mean, like, it's just not worth sitting through all that to get a three and a half star map. But I don't know. So, yes, I totally, I would rather sit through one hour of Ring of Honor than three hours of Raw. That's for sure. Um, as far as Ring of Honor versus, Ring of Honor versus NXT is probably the most interesting one if you want to count NXT, because, you know, they're both an hour. Um, NXT obviously has a lot of ex Ring of Honor guys. So I don't really watch either one. What would you, How would you compare the two weekly television shows? I think the NXT it's certainly a bit slicker produced. It uh you know, it it looks a lot cleaner, even with the Ring of Honor's upgraded um production values. And the you know, the I think the NXT has a bit more continuity week to week. I think it's a little bit of an easier watch. I you can say the higher end wrestling's better on, on Ring of Honor, but it I mean it's pretty it's pretty close to me. I remember the voices of wrestling and I, I I don't know who made the comment, but they said, you know, they they talked about, you know, Ring of Honor TV is good, but it can be a bit soulless at times, and I have a hard time kind of counteracting that. Yeah, and and I think it, it the, the the problem is that there's just so few. Like, here, here's a better question: Does it matter who the best TV wrestling promotion is for like hardcores? Like, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening to this who are like me, who don't watch any weekly wrestling television anymore, and. You know, if we're if we're at a point now in wrestling where there's so many options and it's so easy to watch them all, like, you know, like it, it, is is it an issue that maybe the quality of the weekly television in American wrestling in general isn't that high to like a hardcore fan, or or is, is there still something missing in our lives by not having like a weekly television show of like super high quality? I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say here, actually. But. No, I mean, if you're a hardcore fan, you have so many options of finding great wrestling. You don't really need it. I mean, you used to really need television wrestling. That was largely all there was every week. So, you know, you know pay-per-views were few and far between. Yeah. And you have to, you know, unless you were a tape trader or something, it was all you had. And maybe, maybe yeah, I'm now you have that, that period. Yeah, now you have access to literally any promotion from across the world. So the the need to watch wrestling on TV is certainly not as prevalent. I just don't like the weekly television model as much as the like the more Japanese event model. I don't know. Which I not even just Japanese because it used to be how Ring of Honor did things. It's like I would rather like if I'm sitting down to watch professional wrestling, I'd rather just watch like a, a, a you know a three hour show where I know, you know, even if I'm going to skip, even, even if I skip from the undercard, I know I'm going to get like some main events, you know, some like title matches or whatever. With a weekly TV show, it's like, well, what am I? It constantly just feels like you're on a treadmill waiting for the next pay-per-view. And it's like, well, why don't I just come back when there's a pay-per-view? I don't know. I don't feel like I'm missing anything by not being in the weekly TV model anymore. But. I mean, I think it helps that it certainly lends resonance to 
the, the pay-per-views if you see the build. Because if you just looked at the final battle card, you'd be like, like, ugh. But if you see how the matches were built, I, I think your interest would be piqued a little bit more. I guess that's a good point. Because yeah, the final battle card, when I, you know, I definitely did look at it. I definitely did go, <laughs> So. Yeah, I, mean, I could tell you, and I know Sean could too, like we knew why the matches were happening. We knew what the build yeah. was, what everyone's mm-hmm. motivations were. So I think we were into it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, even even stuff like Addiction versus War Machine, which if you looked at that match on paper, you would think it wouldn't it wouldn't have had any storyline around it, where in fact it had like several, you know, several weeks of build to it. And that was even like it was a throwaway, you know, undercard tag match. Yeah. And there were issues there. No, that makes sense. I'm just I'm just not as invested, I guess, in the American model of like weekly TV building anymore, but it's if, if you still are, then it sounds like the modern one isn't so bad. It's yeah, I'd say that's fair. And you'll and you'll get the occasional, you know, great match on there. I mean, there have been there have been a couple of great matches on Ring of Honor TV this year. So, okay, Jimmy, what are what were they? Okay, so for me, and and I mean, we we can get into this discussion later as far as like matches go. But for me, the one match that really sticks out is the Marty Skrull Donovan Dijak TV title match from. For me, it aired on my TV late February, but I think the website has it as an early March episode. It's basically DiJack's last match in the company before he left. Mm. Um, that that was that was an awesome match, and it was probably that's probably Skrull's best match of the year as far as singles matches go. Um, and, and aside from that, I think a lot of the stuff that to me has been really exciting has involved the Unbucks, but not in the way you would expect. Um, a lot of the stuff, like a lot of those matches that I've like really liked this year, have basically been the Young Bucks, but in six man or eight man tags, like not in straight two on twos. So uh, here's an interesting question: that is it the six man belts? They don't mean anything to me. Like as somebody who wasn't watching the TV, do they mean more if you're watching the television? I mean, it's not even for me. It's not even the six man belts. Like I don't think any like out of the matches I'm talking about. I think only one of them was a six-man title defense. Like, for instance, like I think back in like June, there was uh, Chuck Taylor's debut match. It was Taylor and Rapungi Vice against the Unbucks and Adam Page, and that was that was a great match where I think Taylor, in his first match in the company, pinned the Unbucks, who were the tag team champions at the time. And then you had stuff like I think there was an episode that had the Unbucks and the Gorillas of Destiny. Versus Search and Destroy, which was uh, Shelley, Saban, Gresham, and Jay White. Uh, and then I think a few days ago I watched an episode that had uh, Young Bucks and Page in, in, in an actual six-man match, title match. I think it was Young Bucks and Page against Suzuki, Silas Young, and the Beer City Bruiser, which probably was the weakest of the bunch I'm talking about, but it was still a lot of fun. Mm. Like it's action packed, you know, it's not that, you know, it's like 10 to 15 minutes. Not like super entertaining, and then uh, yesterday I watched. I think I got up to like the end of November, and there was an episode that had Young Bucks, Skrull, and Page versus Flip Gordon, uh, Coast to Coast, and Scorpio Sky. Who, who's Coast to Coast for people like uh, me? Have no idea. Shaheem Ali, Shaheem Ali, and LSG Leonce Giovanni. Mm. Uh, they've been a tag team for I guess what Joe about what like a year or two. In Ring of yeah. They've been pretty prominent in those like future of honor kind of dark matches. They've yeah. been amazing in those. And in, in that match, like they were, they were portrayed as the underdogs who like I mean the Bullet Club was 
dominating a lot, but you know the story is about you know those guys getting getting their kind of revenge against the bullet club or at least trying to. But no, it was just like twenty minutes, and I'm someone who likes matches that are basically like nonstop action, like have a lot of entertaining stuff, and that's what that match was. It was just guys flying all over the place, you know, doing a bunch of cool stuff. But yeah, aside from that. Uh, it's a lot, I just said. But aside from that scroll Dijak match, which I think is a totally must-see match that you got to check out, like, a lot of the other entertaining stuff that's been on TV this year for Ring of Honor has been, like, basically the unbucks in any six-man or eight-man tag. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's been a, there's a lot of matches where you, you watch it and you think, wow, that was very good. Something like Punishment Martinez versus uh, Jonathan Gresham or uh, Martinez versus Flip Gordon. You think that was a very good match, but nothing that's going to sniff a match of the year. Right. We're going to do star ratings, like probably like what, like three and three quarters, that kind of thing? Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, you can see better stuff, you know, every day, but watching yeah. weekly TV, this is, it's good solid stuff that's worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we're going to talk about the weekly television, it's, you know, Maybe not a lot there storyline wise, but there's some storyline stuff and some good matches, basically. Yeah, and just just to go back, I mean, at least for me, the Skrull Dijak match was actually my ROH match of the year up until through the first three months. Like I had that at four and a half. I love that match. Oh, well, yeah, it, it it was legitimately it was like it was a fantastic match. I mean, and I think, was, and I think a- Dijak was really you know because it was his last match. I think he wanted to go out there and just. Kill it with Skrull. Yeah, and they did. So, so that's I guess the weekly. Is there anything else to say about the weekly television? No, I think I mean it kind of covers it. Where you you kind of forget about it, but it's it's a good show. I mean, it's is it better stuff you can watch? Yeah, but if you still like that, we I, like I get up every Sunday morning and watch because my affiliate airs it like Saturdays or like Sundays at one in the morning. I like to get up and watch it, and they usually see something good. Nice, you know. If if you still like the TV format, it's worth checking out. Yeah, okay. and again, for me, it's just it's easy to watch, and I can binge a bunch of them in like a, a good, like a four hour sitting. I can watch like you know, like four or five episodes or something like that. And if uh, knee and back pain has you down for the count, then you're in luck because you'll uh, <laughs> you'll get something to help you out. Or if you're an older man and and you're having prostate problems. Prostate <laughs> problems. <laughs> You're in luck. So, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the bigger events. Um, and Sean, did you, you and I went. To, how many shows did you go to? Did you go to? I went to Manhattan Mayhem in March, which you yeah. and I were both at, and then I was yeah. at War of the World show, and then I went to Final Battle. So those are the three Ring of Honor shows I've seen this year. So, so I went to two of those. I did not go to Final Battle. What did you? Did you go to any uh, Joe or no? I was at Best in the World when Cody won the title and the television tapings the next night. Okay, cool. So um, I guess let's just go in order then. Um, so the first one will be Manhattan Mayhem of the shows we went to in March. First of all, what do we think of the Ring of Honor like, live crowd right now? Because I know, Joe, you're a guy who's also been a longtime fan, right? Like you go back to around the same time I go back to? I go back to like the first year of the company. Okay, so, so you go even further than May. Turn my nose at you and your fake fandom. <laughs> yeah, because I only go back to about 2003. So, um, how have you seen the live crowds in Boston change a lot? Like, how do you, what do you think of the live crowds now versus back in the day? Um, I'm trying. I mean, it's just it's it's just it's funny. I was just on the the Through the Years podcast. We talked about one of those 2003 shows. 
uh, I attended. Um, I mean, it's uh, I, don't, I don't know if there's uh, it's just so much. It just feels so much different because I, you know, I went to, that show was in the uh, National Guard Armory, and the one I went to this year was in uh, Lowell in the uh, you know this big this big setup, and uh, you know it's like twenty five hundred people there. It was a very big crowd for them. And I don't know, I, the bigger the crowd, the, like the the less I have to kind of say about it. Like a smaller crowd, like you're in it, like you, and you see people you know, you know, you see them at all the shows, you kind of get that that feel for the crowd. But uh, I don't know, it was just so much bigger. It, it didn't really annoy me or anything. I mean, there are annoying fans no matter where you go, but I wasn't like repulsed by it like you appear to be with the. <laughs> so you, do you remember my crowd reactions? Wow. Well, I just remember when you talked about, like you were thinking about, getting a ticket for final battle i'm like you don't like ring of honor and you don't like, the crowd. like was the Trump rally sold out you wanted to go to like <laughs> i mean look the, the the issue i have with ring of honor crowds now is like it's it, uh, maybe it's just where i keep sitting but i i always seem to end up seeing by at least one person who has and this goes even back to back in the day but it just feels like it's gotten worse it's like there's always one person who feels the need like who who's looked at this as this is my big chance to get my new wrestling stand up routine over. And that's all they're gonna do the entire night is say bullshit, make quote unquote jokes that aren't funny. Um the guy the guy who I was sitting by at uh War of the Worlds this time, his big thing was um you know, not well, whatever. Fuck the. I guess mayhem, it was mayhem. That was the first one, right? Yeah, but no. This this time, what I'm talking about right now is uh, War of the Worlds, actually, the New Japan okay. one. All right. He he decided he was going the way he was going to do it is he was going to chant for John Cena. He he did that throughout the night. He was going to um say derogatory things towards every single Japanese wrestler. It's always a good way to get on my good side. And, you know, just like basically he was one of these guys where I could not figure out who he was actually there to cheer for because he really did nothing except yell at everybody all night long and make, you know, unfunny jokes, um, you know, just complain um, very loudly, though, so that everybody had to hear about it and heckle everybody. And I don't know, it just feels like I always end up near that person. Did he was he dressed up like John Cena by any chance? No, he was like in like a he was like a young a younger guy, but like in business attire. Okay, because yeah. at, at final battle there was a guy because I was sitting in the front row of the uh, lower balcony section, and there was a guy. There was a he, he heckled a little bit, but there was a guy below me on the floor who was who came as like dressed as John Cena. Yeah. So I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't dressed as anybody, but no, I mean like. So I was that that show. I was in the um, I was in the, one of those bo- those side boxes. Yeah, you know, I always wanted to try one of those, but like I feel like the ticket was way overpriced for what we actually got because, like, you know, it was the second row of the box, but the, the problem is it's not elevated, so like you end up looking directly at this, you, like, because if people don't know the Manhattan Hammerstein, there's like a roof over you, right, in this box. So like you're in literally in a box and there's a seat in front of you. So like the roof of the box ends up blocking your view in a way that it wouldn't if you're not in the box and you end up staring at the person in front of you just as much at like it's impossible to look over them. You got what I'm trying to say? Like yeah. you end up feeling like you're too enclosed and you know you end up feeling like you're in this tiny space and 
there's a person in front of you still, but your field of vision overall isn't as good because you're in a fucking box. Yeah. So like it just the, the seat felt way and the seat and they charged the same amount of money for the second roll of that box they charged for the first. I don't remember what it was, but like uh, you know eight seventy five dollars or something. And it's like, why am I paying the same thing that guy in front of me is paying to have an unrestricted? Like I imagine the first roll of that box is a great fucking seat because you're elevated and you have nothing in front of it, so you can see directly at the ring. But the second roll of the box sucks because you you know you have this whole row in front of you. Well, so, I will I will say that when I was at final battle on Friday or this past Friday as we record this. Um, I, I don't know if this was both both boxes, but I know the one of the boxes constantly had the uh, the camera crane pulling mm-hmm. right in front of it. I'm yeah. sure if you were sitting in that box, that would have been a lot. That would have just added to your experience. Yeah, so I don't know. I, just, I, then I found about 2016, they, they sold me a front row seat. Like they're like, oh, production opened up. You can uh, buy front row. I bought a front row seat, and I end up being behind a garbage can. And it's like, well, really, I have a second row seat, and the garbage can has a front row seat in this corner. So it seems like I don't know. It just seems like every time I get a ring wire ticket, I, something happens. And I end up with a, a much shittier seat than I anticipated. So uh, when I attended the TV tapings, they drew so badly. It was like two hundred people. Oh yeah, I mean, they my own, uh, section to myself, so no one could could bother me at all. <laughs> that that's pretty awesome. Those post pay per view TV tapings have always drawn pretty poorly, especially when they run back to back nights in the same city. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm guessing it's for cost reasons, but I don't know why they just don't run somewhere else on that second night. I mean, I think they they just did TV tapings in Philly after the New York show, but when they right. do pay per views in in Massachusetts, they run the same building because I guess they get a deal on it for two nights in a row. Yeah, but yeah, so I don't know. The crowds kind of annoy me, and the crowds are just not. I don't know. I mean, I haven't been in them in six months, so I feel like I would have had more, more uh, relevant complaints if I coming out of the show. I just remember how furious I was with that War of the Worlds show. I just go back and read my oh. Twitter timeline because I really hate that fucking show. And I mean, I'm, looking, I'm looking at the card and trying to figure out why. And it's probably because there's only one match I really liked, but it was probably you know, Osprey and Jay White, right? That was a fantastic match, but. Um, that was really it, you know. Like, so let's go. Let's start with Manhattan Mayhem because that was first. That was on March fourth. Um, that was a show I kind of decided to go to just because I had enjoyed, um, you know, I, I had enjoyed Final Battle twenty sixteen, even though I was behind the garbage can. So I was like, oh, they're coming back. I'll buy, I'll buy a ticket. And you know, I sat through the top prospect matches, which were uh, Josh Woods and Brian Malona. So I don't even know who that is now. And John, oh, the Kingpin. Thank you. And John Schuyler and Kurt Stallion. Okay, that was that was. Um, I remember that actually being pretty good because I think there was one spot. I remember this one spot during the match that sticks out in my mind where Stallion went for a dive, and uh, Schuyler moved out of the way, and then Stallion just went head first, like full speed, into the barricade, and like pushed the barricade back like a couple feet. Like, <laughs> like, dude, you're gonna you're gonna kill yourself doing that. <laughs> Um, we don't have to go through every match, in the, but like here's here's one: Dalton Castle and Colt Cabana. That whole feud, you know, you know, Colt Cabana's whole heel thing, it just felt like it kind of petered out really quickly, right? Like it, it here's like they had a match here. I think they might have one other one or two other matches, and then yeah. they just kind of dropped it and they kind of dropped the heel Colt thing, right? Yeah. So what basically what happened is that they had the feud, they had the match of final battle. They had a match at the show, 
And then they had, well, I guess technically what was their third match was uh, a TV taping. Uh, Cabana got uh, the Temporal Boys, who are, are now reporting 3K, to help him challenge for the six-man titles against Castle and the boys when they were champions. And then they, they lost, and then Cabana was just like, okay. you And, and in that match, Castle pinned Cabana. So he basically pinned, he's beaten him three times. And Cabana was basically just like, okay, well, you've, you've beaten me three times. I guess, you know, you're, you're the better man. And I, I should probably like you again, so. That's something we forgot to mention about the TV. Is they, I mean, they lost Kevin Kelly and Steve Carino, their old commentary team. And Ian Riccoboni and Cole Cabana are actually a pretty decent uh, oh, yeah. commentary duo. Like, it's pretty solid commentary, which is yeah, yeah the greatest. They won't make you forget any classic team. But given the state of commentary, I, I think they're up there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's best, like, Cole Cabana as a commentator at this point. He's not, I don't think he's going to add a lot in the ring or anything like that. No, I, I think no. he's still fine, but I think he's better suited for commentary. So does Cabana still wrestle at all in Ring of Honor? Yeah. He, he, he wrestles occasionally. Um, I think the most – I mean, I, from what I can remember, the most recent match he had was the match he had with Yano at uh, the Chicago show. Mm. Uh, which I which I thought was pretty funny. I mean, people were were, were wondering how that match was going to go, but I I enjoyed it. I thought it was perfectly fine for what it was. Uh, but that's the last match I remember him having. I know earlier in the tour he filled in for Mark Briscoe when Mark Briscoe screwed up his elbow in a tag match, mm-hmm. or he filled in for Mark Briscoe in a tag match. But he's he's been wrestling on and off pretty much. He does commentary most of the time. Hmm. So yeah, I guess that's, that's interesting, and he's obviously about he's gonna be, he's in DDT again now for this weekend's um gonna be challenging Takashita for the KOD Open Weight Title, but you know it probably is kind of past his peak in Ring of Honor, so or mm-hmm. way way past his peak. Um, but yeah, it's cool to hear that they're a cool commentary team, I guess. But yeah, I didn't at the time it just was like, well, what's the point of this heel run if he's just gonna kind of drop it after three months, but I guess it served to put Dalton over. Eh? Yeah, yeah, I mean... I he did a good job with that. Yeah, I mean, Castle Council beat him three times clean, so... Um, then we have the Ring of Honor World TV title match, Marty Scroll and Sanjay Dutt. I remember that being okay. I was actually really surprised by that match, because Sanjay Dutt... When I look at Sanjay, a match involving Sanjay Dutt on paper, I never get excited for him for whatever reason. But then I watched that match, and it was like, I thought to myself, well, he's actually, I forget, he's actually, a, I mean, he's not, you know, an amazing wrestler, but he's a very good wrestler. Mm. And I, I mean, I, I enjoyed that match for what it was, Maybe, probably because I wasn't expecting much, and I ended up getting a little bit more than what I was expecting. He's one and only appearance in Ring of Honor, it looks like, this year, I mean. Yeah. I can see if he did anything else, that was it. No, because I so. think I think that was around the time where I think there was rumors that he was flirting with joining WWE as like a trainer or something, and okay. he just ended up going back to TNA. And then he they they did that gimmick a lot, right? This year where they brought in a random challenger for the TV titles, like one match. Or yeah, a few times. Girl, girl never really had a feud over the TV title. It's just people came in and just faced him. Like I think in January, Juice Robinson had a match with him that was pretty good. And then he, I think he defended it against you know, Sanjay Dutt. He had a match with Adam Cole. Ryan. He, had, he had a match with, with Ken Anderson, of all people, on a, on a random half show in Minnesota. So Wait, no, Joey Ryan was Kane King. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah, that match happened on the San Antonio show recently. But I'm talking about like Skrull. He wrestled Ken Anderson in a TV title match in I think April. Um so so basically the I mean I I don't that match is okay. I don't remember liking it as much as you apparently did. And there's Dragon Lee and Will Ospreay, which um you know, frankly, was the highlight of the entire show, whatever you think of Osprey. One of Osprey's four matches, as we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. This only went like 12 minutes, but I remember it being pretty spectacular. Yeah, it was It was really good. I mean, I mean, it's Will Osprey and Dragon Lee, so. Yeah. Um, and then you had the, the World Tide title match, Young Bucks against Jay White and Leo Rush. Remember that being good? And then obviously the big thing was that the, the Hardys thing, where they showed up unexpectedly and and did that tag title match impromptu, which, you know, obviously that wasn't like a great match or anything, but it was a really cool moment. I'll give them that. Yeah. And it, and it still sort of, it surprises me to this day because I remember watching Matt Hardy during his ROH run, sort of like 2012, 2013, when he was in 2014, where he was part of Scum and then later was part of the Kingdom when that first started. And like people in Ring of Honor, like the, the fans at least, they hated Matt Hardy. Like, well, yeah. Joe and I can probably tell you about Jeff Hardy's Ring of Honor run. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, was there, I was there at Death Before Dishonor. Not was it Death Before Dishonor? It was one of the Rex Fuck shows, and you know he his fans showed up. I will say that you know so that was why they booked him. You know his fan girls showed up and they cheered for him, and they immediately left. And the ring, the actual Ring of Honor fans that were there to see the show in general really hated him. So right. Yeah, but like he was Hardy was did not have a lot of fans at that time, and it, it it's just so crazy that you know after all those years, they came back and honestly, at least for me, I mean I haven't been to a lot of wrestling shows as probably you have John or you have Joe, but at least for me, when they came out through that crowd and they announced that they, they were defending the titles, then and there, for me that was probably one of the loudest reactions I've ever heard at a Ring of Honor show. At least the ones I've been to. And it was one of the last ones I've ever heard too, and I've been to a lot more than you have, obviously. Yeah. So I mean, it was yeah. a really loud. It was a really loud crowd reaction. Yeah, it's just crazy to me that they were so hated in Ring of Honor at one point, and then they, you know, I guess that shows how popular the broken characters are because they came out and they're insanely over. So which caused a big stir <laughs> with the with, evidently with Anthem Wrestling. Yeah, they couldn't do it on like they found out like the afternoon of a paper i think it was the anniversary show yeah mm-hmm. they, couldn't, they couldn't do the character so they're like oh well we had some ideas so we need to to uh change everything like almost on the fly yeah um and then we had the the world title number contendership battle royal that matt taven won that was a match you know um then the the six-man tag team match bullet club against jaleetha and the briscoes um what did what did you think of that one? Because I thought it was okay. It's just kind of yeah, uh, yeah. It was just kind of a match. I mean, Kazarian was there during the whole. You know, he inf- the he infiltrated Bullet Club, quote unquote. So, and in the main event, Adam Cole and Bobby Fish. I look. I'm the first person to admit Adam Cole. I don't know how you guys feel about Adam Cole, but like, this is not a case where a guy went to NXT and like, oh, I've always. And I went from like loving him to like pretending I hate him. I have always like just not given a single shit about Adam Cole, especially as a singles wrestler. The only thing I've ever really enjoyed him in 
is maybe like that whole kingdom thing with the kingdom and the bullet club was kind of cool. But other than that, like as a singles wrestler, I, especially as a ring model world champion, I never gave a shit about him. I never, never understood the hype. You know, he was a three star wrestler to me. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, he's the, the king of the bees um, where, you know, you get a, a solid B match out of him. He's done good stuff. Occasionally some rare, great stuff, but usually just solid. And that's it. I mean, if people think he's in the upper echelon of, you know, Ring of Honor wrestlers or, or champions in the company's history, they're way, way off. Yeah. I mean, there's not, they were not losing Brian Danielson as peak here. No. no. They lost, they lost I mean, the great, guy. great character, really good interview, but as an in-ring belt to bell, no. They lost, they basically, to me, they lost a guy who, you know, was a great guy you could turn to, to be a champion because he, you know, he can like you're saying, the character work is fine. And, you know, I mean, character work was good actually. And the in-ring work was, you know, fine. But he he was not like a, a, you know, this is not a guy that you lose him and your 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 company's gonna go bankrupt. No, you know, I feel like I'm probably one of the only people on the site who kind of never really hated him. May and he's not a popular guy with the voice of wrestling. No. Yeah, I I but I think maybe part of that is because like when I for, when I really decided to jump into Ring of Honor was like literally like right when he was starting with with but like before. Before, like, when he was teaming with O'Reilly, before they were known as Future Shock. You know, when it was, like, a white boots, like, neon green trunks, Adam Cole. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. I've always... I've never disliked him. I mean, he, he, I never saw him as a great wrestler. I always saw him as a good to... I guess, at some points, very good wrestler who can have great matches if he's in there with the right guy. Like, I, like, I loved... I still love the two matches he had with AJ Styles, but that's AJ Styles. So, yeah, I guess I guess he had a better match with AJ than Ginger just did. Huh. Oh yeah, people, with some people would tell you. I know. I hear that match was outstanding. Oh yeah, anyone but Ginger had that match. It would have been universally praised. Like I, I watched it, I, I almost fell asleep. But anyway, it was okay. <laughs> it was it was a it was a match. Yeah. Um, but that's been mayhem, you know, not again, this, here's a, the theme that's going to happen on both these shows. There was one match. that I'm like, I'm really happy. I went and saw this match and here it was Dragon Lee and Will Ospreay. And I'm happy. I saw the moment of the Hardys winning the tag titles, but I had to sit through a very boring show otherwise to get that moment in that match. So was that worth it? Eh, I don't know. Basically is how I feel about it. So it was it was a show. What do you think, uh, Sean? Um, yeah, I mean it was it was basically a house show, and it and obviously it, I feel I felt like going in that something was going to happen because Manhattan Mayhem. I mean it it it's oh, I mean what's in the show name you know? But Manhattan Mayhem has sort of a reputation of having something prizes. Well, I was, I was there. I was there at the first one. It was one of the best shows Ring of Honor ever did. Right, yeah, and it just has that show always has a reputation of something happening, whether it be you know world title changes or a debut of some kind, or I mean the another... first the first Manhattan Mayhem was low key, like having that crazy angle with the Rottweilers where they you know they they had the impromptu match and everything. Yeah, they had the Austin Aries Alex Shelley Ring of Honor World Title match that was fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, 
that show like, ruled. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, stuff like you know. I think the second one was the one that had Danielson Morishima on it. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, and then three and four had Aries and Eddie Edwards winning the title. Um, and I think the fifth one. I think the only thing that was memorable about the fifth one, as far as like a moment, was the that was billed as the debut of Outlaw Inc. If you remember them. Oof. Yeah. Oh, that was Eddie Kingston, somebody, right? Homicide. Homicide. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, like later, like no joke, later that year at that final battle, which was 2013, they somehow managed to have a two-star match with Red Dragon. So, <laughs> so but, that's mayhem. Let's. So like, we can we can talk about I guess uh, the next show chronologically, which is the, the New Japan Ring of Honor War of the World show you and I were at, which was uh, May 12th. As a, again, at the Hammerstein Ballroom. And this is another show where it's like it's more egregious than Manhattan Mayhem. That you have all these New Japan guys on this show, and the best you can do is one one good match that I would consider really, really good. Will Ospreay and Jay Wright. Again, only went about 13 and a half minutes, but you know, I, I would go like four and a half stars on it. It was a, a really oh, yeah. outstanding yeah, match. Too. That was great. That was an outstanding, outstanding match. So it did make me feel like I completely wasted my time because at least I saw that. But like the rest of this card, you know, you have Tetsuya Naito, who is one of the hottest things in all of wrestling, and I think the best in-ring wrestler in the world. I, I think most people would at least not argue that he's one of, like, the best five or ten, right? And, you know, his nickname is Stardust Genius because he, he's so great at these match layouts and... You know, he has so many great ideas. And you have him as a fucking mannequin in a Young Bucks, like any other Young Bucks match. Like, that is where I really, like, you know, I think I lost my mind tweeting that show because I was so fucking angry that I went, you know, to see my favorite my favorite wrestler, Tetsuya Naito, and he could have been anyone. He could have been a guy off the street with some training because he was just another fucking cog in the endless saga of the Young Bucks as Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. They did the exact same fucking match that they always fucking do. And yeah, you know, I, I freaked out on Twitter about it at the time. And I'm I'm getting angry again, as you can hear, just thinking just thinking about it again. I hated that match and it really pissed me off that that's the best they could do with Tetsuya Naito. Well I mean look at what Revfro did with Keith Lee and Tomohiro Ishii and how much buzz that got. Mm-hmm. And Ring of Honor hasn't put anything out close to that. Even the the Okada flex match from Australia. Yeah, got more buzz than anything Ring of Honor is able yeah. to put up here. Like, wh- okay, you have Tetsuya Naito. Why the fuck does he not like have him? Like, there's, no, I guess, there's nobody on the roster is the thing. But like, why not put him up against Will Osprey? You have maybe it's because two New Japan guys and they couldn't, they felt like they couldn't do it. But why not have him in that slot instead of Jay White? Why not do Naito and Jay White? I don't know. Why not do Naito and Beretta? Naito. I mean, I'm trying to find somebody on this roster, and maybe well, that's Naito the other Jay problem. Briscoe. Huh? Naito J. Briscoe. Yeah, you can do Naito J. Briscoe. I just like just do something that might actually get some buzz instead of just here's here's a Young Bucks tag team title match like every other Young Bucks tag team title match except this one has Tetsuya Naito in it. And it's like you know, as I I, I heard some people be like, oh no, that match was good, but is anybody really talking about that? Was anybody really talking about that match afterwards, even like a month later? Was it no. not just another Young Bucks tag team title match that happened to have probably the best wrestler in the world in it? You know? So I don't know. I mean, like, what, what does Okada do on these tours? He didn't you know, work. 
another guy people think more of him than I do, but a lot of people think he's the best in the another guy that people think is the best in the world. Well, I know he wasn't on this tour, but like what does Okada ever do on these tours? It's so special. I mean mm. he has he hasn't worked a Ring of Honor tour at all this year. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm sure they just want to save his body with everything he's been going through. But yeah. like I don't know. It's just to me it's just a complete waste of um of, of the talent you're given. That's that's what I get out of this for the world show. You know, Tanahashi and Adam Cole, maybe they wanted to do that before Adam Cole left. You know, that was just a match, in my opinion, and, and probably a waste of Tanahashi. And Yeah, and it was probably more rem- remembered for the angle afterwards where yeah. he had Omega showing up and then Skrull joined the Bullet Club. So Yeah. And boy was New York City pissed when they realized Omega was just on a pre recorded video. <laughs> it was like a reaction like I think he even says I'm not there, and the whole crowd just like booed out of the building. Booed very loudly. But yeah. Um and then the main event, obviously, uh, the Daniels Cody and Lethal match, which in hindsight just looks like a, a time killer because Cody ended up beating Daniels for the title like a month later anyway. So I don't know. Yeah, one of the I mean, Ring of Honor always does they used to, I think that this show had like nine matches, I think, on it for a three hour pay per view. So everything's always rushed for time. They've dropped that to eight, but they should really do seven because you have main events that go. This one went like 13 and a half minutes and you have others that go, you know, it's like 15 tops. And it's just, it's just always feel, you're always like, oh my God, they're going to be able to finish in time for the pay-per-view. Yeah. And even, and even with eight matches, I know the, the castle, like for instance, like a final battle that only had eight matches and the castle Cody made event. I think it started, you know, the pay-per-view was nine to midnight I think they started the match at like 10:40 something and it ended up going even though Castle won the title match itself was only like 12 minutes I think. Yeah, it's just it's not it's the 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 I definitely agree that they need to drop some matches here and like you know did, did the world need you know War Machine versus Search and Destroy versus Evil and Sonata? Like that couldn't have been a dark match. Did the world need Hangman Page and Frankie Kazarian? Are they spinning at each other? No, they, it did not. Six-minute battle. Like, it's, I don't know. It's just, they, they do a lot of things that just seem very counterproductive when it yeah. comes to some of their bigger events. So yeah, It's it's really annoying when they when they do a pay-per-view and they book nine matches, because I know mentally that it's like, okay, stuff's going to be rushed for time, and not one match is going to get a ton of time that maybe it probably deserves or needs. Yeah. So. I mean, is it hard to get an extra hour TV time? I mean, a pay-per-view time? Is that really I think cost? it is, actually, right? Is it, like, because they like to have, you know, these three-hour windows so they can immediately go with, like, a three-hour replay? From, like, I guess. You know? I, I don't know. I think I, I think there are issues there. So, which is part of the reason why, like, even WWE rarely went over three hours when they were on regular pay-per-view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the Dolph Castle title win was just under 13 minutes. Yeah, so they need to do something. And and obviously that also goes back to, you know, we could even talk about why are they still running $35 pay-per-views in 2017 where, you know, you get, you get those embarrassing tweets that are like, well, for $35, you can either buy one Ring of Honor show or like five streaming services. Well, that's just that's just if you buy it online. It's still, I think, like 45 if you buy on regular pay-per-view. Yeah, so. Now, to be fair, apparently their pay-per-view business was up this year. So it's not like okay. it's cratered. And if people are still willing to pay, then you should charge whatever you can get for it. Now, is that going to, if they do, God help us, do their streaming service, is that pay-per-view cost going to hold up? I mean, probably not, but for now, 
I mean, if it works, it works. I mean, I think it's ridiculous to charge that, but if people are willing to pay for it, then I can't really, I can't really bang them too hard for that. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think I only actually, out of the pay-per-views this year, I think I only, there was only one of them that I actually bought the pay-per-view for. The others were just, I just bought the iPay-per-view one because it's, it's just cheaper. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let, like, I guess when it comes to Ring of Honor, is there, is there going to be like a, you just hinted at the streaming service. What is that going to look like? I mean, ideally it would have the full library up, you know, are they going to, you know, is it going to be the WWE model where pay-per-views are aired? Probably not, but you'd, you'd hope they'd be on there like within a week or two. Yeah. And maybe, you know, any, you know, live event they do gets uploaded pretty quick. And if you can do that for a decent, I mean, ideally nine ninety nine, maybe fifteen bucks. You know, I think that's a that's a good deal if you can yeah. have that library at your, so, especially the library at your disposal, all the TV, all the content, yeah. and all that. And I I do remember reading it. One of the articles said that they were planning on, I guess, to go with the streaming service. They were planning on having some sort of uh, app for you know Android and Apple. So you have to at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what, do you want to talk about the show you went to, by the way, Best in the World? Oh, sure. It was um, that was the the one where Cody won the title, which was I, I'd never seen the Ring of Honor title change live. That kind of stuff. Like yeah, they, they never changed the fucking title in Boston, did they? No, I mean they changed the tag titles like literally a dozen times, but they had never. I mean they had that five year gap. They didn't run New England, which was very odd. Yeah, because that was the first place they expanded to outside of Pennsylvania. Yeah, but uh, you know, obviously I had seen the Ring of Honor change hands a bunch of times because yeah. they, they always changed it around, you know, somewhere in the Northeast. So, yeah, I, I thought it was it was a solid show. I didn't have um, I mean, it was cool to see things like, you know, Ultimo Guerrero work there. Yeah, uh, that night I've always been a huge fan of him. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was so. I mean, the the three way tag title match with the uh, War Machine, Young Bucks, and Best Friends was that's. I think that was one of the top five. Ring of Honor matches of the year. That was just crazy, all out action, start to finish, and uh, yeah, everything else was pretty. So, I mean, the thing about these Ring of Honor pay per views is that everything's usually pretty solid up and down the card, but nothing's great. Nothing's like, oh my god, you need to see this. Everything's in that three to three and a half star range, yeah. but nothing's great. And that, that was kind of that's where this one held. I thought that the tag title match was great. Everything else was okay to good. Was Cody Daniels any good? I know twenty minutes sounds like a lot for that. It was, it was okay. I mean, it, I mean, there was a lot of drama, and but I mean, it was okay. I mean, that was the thing about. I mean, I liked Cody the character as champion. I thought he did a good job. Yeah. When the bell rang, then you know, it, I mean, mm-hmm. it is what you get. But I mean, it's not like you know Samoa Joe was on the the roster and he could. Yeah. I mean, he's not walking through that door. Yeah. Like, look, I don't disagree with the idea of making Cody champion. I'm going to say that flat yeah. out right now because it's he plays into your bull, your Bullet Club thing. He plays into your Warn Act WWE thing. I totally get why they did it. I he's just I can't think of there's few people that I'd rather not you know I, I'd rather not see in that like there's few people that I wouldn't rather see in that position because just from a match standpoint, I know the matches are not going to be very good, yeah. but. I get why they did it. I'm, right. I would never question from a business standpoint why they did it. It's just not interesting to me personally from an in-ring standpoint. And he played his role. I thought he played his role as champion pretty well, actually. Then, But then you had stuff where, you know, he has a title defense with Sonata that goes 20 minutes, 
and he spends the first 10 minutes of the match stalling. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Suzuki match was just garbage. Yeah. That was, I mean, you bring in Minoru Suzuki, and he goes 12 minutes with Cody Rhodes and loses. It was just like, <laughs> uh, that That is really terrible. And I, get the, I, mean, I didn't see the match, but it sounds really terrible. It, and, that, yeah. and uh, you know, obviously, I, I don't, some people praise that match at Okada on the New Japan show in Long Beach, but I thought that was, like, I think two, two and a half, I gave it two and a half, and that might have been generous. Like, I really thought that match was terrible. I mean, that had a lot of drama because everyone was afraid he'd win the title. If that was non-title, I don't think anyone would have great. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was all that great, but everyone, you know, it really played into fans' fears. It added some extra tension. Yeah, I mean, just when your heat is based around a, a hardcore fan base being scared shitless, this guy who sucks is going to win the title, I don't know how much credit you should get for that. Yeah. Like, that was my point at the time. Like, people were like, oh, they, the crowd heat. Like, they don't like him because he sucks. Like, I don't know if we really should be like, oh, he worked this match so well for the Heat. He did his usual stalling, and the crowd was scared shitless that he was going to win the title because he sucks. So, like, like, like you're saying, if that match was non-title, and they did the exact same match, would that crowd have cared? Probably not. So, I don't know. It feels like a weird thing to give them credit for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I guess that that pretty much like. Is there any other big show moments you want to talk about before we get into the awards for like shows you didn't you didn't go to? I don't. No, I don't think. I mean, like I said, there there there's a lot of good, but not a lot of great. So just kind of. Uh, I mean, that's just the pay per view. Mo- they did drop a pay per view this year because they usually. Yeah, I mean, they would run like four pay per views in five months. It was a little crazy. I yeah. think they dropped. They just did the I think UK exclusive ones, the War of the World ones. They were yeah. I. Yeah, they yeah it was weird. So they did they did a couple regular pay per views. Then they did some i pay per views, and then they did, uh, which was I think the Global Wars shows. They did two of them, which were free i pay per view, but only if you were a ringside member. Mm. So yeah, because that, that was people thought that was like the test of a streaming service. So yeah, um, I, I guess the only I guess as far as pay per views go, I think the only moment that sticks out as far as like that we haven't mentioned already is I guess. If you're a longtime fan, then I guess seeing Christopher Daniels win the world title was probably a cool moment. Yeah, I, I, I will admit I downloaded a torrent to see that. So nobody, so. nobody, nobody come here and arrest me. Scandalous. Scandal. But I did. I just want. I didn't watch the rest of the show. I just wanted to see Daniels win the title as a you know a longtime fan. Because remember, you know, back in the day, it was like he was. He felt like he was going to be the guy who just never got the belt. So it was kind of yeah. cool to see. I guess. Um, what do you think of Final Battle this year, uh, Sean? Because I know you were you were there. I was. Yeah. Well, you you of course you can. I'll, I'll use this opportunity to plug. You can check out my review on the website, voicesofwrestling dot Yes. Um, I thought the show was. I thought it was good. It it wasn't great. But I would call it a good show. Um, it there was a part in the middle where it just kind of it did drag a little bit. Like for instance, the uh, the best friends Motor City Machine Guns match was not as was not nearly as good as I thought it was going to be. Because considering who was involved, you would think it could be a match of the night. But it just—I mean, it was it was it was good, but it had a weird. I had this weird finish where I guess best friends have this double team sequence where Chuck Taylor hits a pile driver and then he tosses the other guy into Trent, who it's a who it's a gotch pile driver. Well, the end of the match is Chuck Taylor hits Saban with a pile driver, and then Saban just pops back up, jackknifes Trent, 
and they win the match. So it was that was strange that he basically no sold a pile driver and then just rolled up Trent. That was a really yeah. weird finish. But and then the 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 TV title match, the four way was it was it was very long. I mean, I it was an elimination match, so you kind of figured it had to be a little longer. But I mean, it was it was it was fine. I was happy to see Silas Young win. Uh, I know people wanted Punishment Martinez to win, or some did, but I thought Silas was the more deserving person, I guess, in in this instance, anyway. Because like, Mar- service to the company, right? Like basically, like a- yeah, yeah. And, and for me, it was more the fact that Martinez had won Survival of the Fittest, yeah. so he's getting a world title shot. So he doesn't necessarily need the TV title right now. Could he win the belt. What was that? Could he win the belt from Dalton? Mm, it depends on when they do it. I, 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 I wouldn't. I don't think he's ready for that. Okay. Um, I mean, it, I guess, I guess we'll see where they do it. If they do it on a like a house show, then probably not. But yeah, who knows? Uh, yeah. So final battle. You know, it seemed like a it seemed like a decent show, like an average show, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and then uh, the worst match of the night was obviously the Bully Ray match, which you know. Yeah. He, he, as I mentioned on Twitter at the time, he, he did get a couple drops of beer on me, which was that gift was so awesome because you're just like you're just sitting there, and he starts to they start to guzzle beer. I already know you're not a drinker. Yeah, and you're wearing that G one shirt, you're just like, nope. Yeah, and, and and it wasn't it wasn't it, to be clear, it wasn't like you know he uh, he got a ton of beer on me or anything. It was just I'm straight edge, and a couple drops of beer is a couple drops too many. Yeah. So I just got out of there, and I just I just thought you didn't want to get on your G one shirt. <laughs> oh, that's part of that too, but but you know, I just didn't want I didn't want to give beer on me at that point. But I will I will say that uh, I guess two more things about that about the show is that I thought that Marty Skrull Jay Lethal was probably the match of the night at least for me. I thought that was a great match, and they had I mean they did some uh, like shenanigans towards the end but in the context of the story it, it worked and it made sense so yeah. in, in that regard because the, the whole story was that Skrull wanted Lethal to cheat basically so yeah. the, the spots were you know they were trying to outdo each other and whatnot. but I, I and as far as the main event goes you know I thought the reaction of the crowd at the time the Castle won was incredible because nobody expected Castle to win that yeah. title so when you when you hear the crowd reaction, it was sort of like a like a shock, and then I mean, obviously everyone was happy when when the moment sunk in, but that first, you know, as soon as they count the three, everyone was just going like freaking out that they actually that the title actually changed hands because again nobody thought it was going to happen. So yeah, makes sense. So with that said, we should move on to the awards here. Um, if we if we were gonna pick, let's say, just a Ring of Honor MVP, you know, the traditional Flair Fez and the Observer, ring work plus importance promotion plus drawing, who would you have, Joe? Who's your Ring of Honor MVP? God, it's sorely tempting to have it be incomplete, but I guess I'd go with Marty Skrull just because, on the basis of being, I mean, he was a really good weekly television wrestler. He had a lot of really good matches, and he was like kind of that definition you want of a TV champ. He just fit that role so, so well. I really like what they did with that title. And being part of the Bullet Club, he wasn't the main event or anything, but he was he was in the mix. He had that big angle where he joined and they kicked out Adam Cole. So I would go with him. And But you wouldn't consider him a real contender for an overall award? No, no not even close. Yeah. 
So that should say something right there, I guess. Um, yeah. Anybody? Yeah. Any any runners up? I mean, uh, if Cody increased business, then I I would give him credit. But the belt to bell's not there. So the belt belt is so bad. Yeah. It's like he's he's great at everything else, but just like the belt yeah, the belt rings. Yeah. Um. What do you? Who would you go with, Sean? I would pretty much echo what Joe said. Um. I I would I would go with Skrull. I mean, his his TV matches, at least his singles matches, have all been really good. And then he's had a couple of really great matches this year. Um, so, again, I think Skrull, he's been the most enjoyable person to watch as far as in-ring goes this year. So, I, I would have to go he with He probably him. has made a difference business-wise because, you know, you look at those people really into that whole gimmick. So, it makes sense. Yeah. And, what, hey, what? I will... And I will admit, I did shell the money for an umbrella for a bulk umbrella. <laughs> oh, should have used how much, it. How much, what, how much was it? Oh God, I don't even remember. It was. It, I know it was ex- more expensive than the T-shirt because I know. Yeah, I think you can get it on pro wrestling tees. Okay. Um, but I, I know it was. It's more expensive than the T-shirt, and the T-shirts are usually like twenty-five dollars. Yeah. So, but I, I got one just because I, I wanted to have one, just to say I had one. But you should have used uh, it with that beer spilled on you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, I guess the runner up, I, I don't, he didn't move business, obviously, but I thought looking back on it, I thought Jay Lethal really had a, a very solid in ring year. I mean, he didn't, for me, he didn't have a lot of amazing matches. Like, he didn't have anything that was like match of the year worthy, not, not even close, but he had a lot of, for me at least, a lot of. Know, four star matches and four and a quarter star matches on like big shows. Like I remember, like he had great matches with uh with Bobby Fish and on the Global Wars tour. I thought he had great matches with uh, Jay White and Hiromu. Uh, I thought his last man standing match with Silas Young at Death Before Dishonor was great. And then obviously the match he just had with Marty Skrull, which I thought was the uh, best match on Final Battle. And then I actually think that. It could be tossed up between him and Osprey, but I think well, he Osprey had, was there so, so well. I, I I mean, in the sense that he and Osprey both had matches with Cody this year, mm. and I thought the bull rope match that Lethal had with Cody was probably one of Cody's best matches in Ring of Honor this year, and the other one would have to be the match he had with Osprey and on the War of the Worlds tour in May. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, hey, if you can get a really good match out of Cody in any stipulation, I mean that's you gotta you gotta give him credit. So, so so really quickly, that that interesting to me that you said lethal because I I haven't heard anything about lethal all year long. I feel like so, I think I think I his issue why it doesn't translate. I think his issue. Well, I mean, for me, I think his issue for me is that he's very bland right now as a babyface. Yes, like he. He needs to be, and I don't know if they're going in this direction with what happened at Final Battle and what the story they were telling. Um, because I, they they played it off as him being really disgusted that he had the cheat, yeah, to, to beat Marty Skrull. But yeah, ever since I think ever since he turned face, he, he just he just has he's just lost something. Yeah, I mean, he's still a very good wrestler, and he can have great matches. But I, I just think he lost something when he I, like after he lost the world title. Um, and uh, oddly, oddly enough, I think part of what he lost, or something that he lost that has contributed to him not having what he had before, is actually the fact that he got sh- he is he uh, shaved his head. 
I think when he lost the hair, he lost a ton of charisma. Yeah. Well, that just happens sometimes, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I think he did an interview where I guess it was a thing where he figured, where he found out that he was balding because he had been doing his hair in braids for so long. I see. So he figured, you know, to turn it into an angle, and that's where the bull club shaved his hair. But it's just like, you know, it, it, to me, post head shave Jay Lethal and pre head shave Jay Lethal are like two completely different <laughs> people as far as charisma goes. Interesting. Um, so I don't know if we should even do most outstanding because you guys kind of turned that into most outstanding anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what about? I mean, is there anybody other the tag team of the year or is it just the Young Bucks? I mean, it's. I mean, I, yeah. They meant for I, business. I think they actually had a really good year in ring. They had that uh, the three way match at Best in the World. I like their pay per view matches. They had the Hardys feud and a lot yeah. of great six man TV um, TV matches. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty easily mm-hmm. though. Um, what any other runners up? Best friends, maybe. Uh, I guess. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, they were only around for the second half of the year. It's true. I mean, it, it's funny because Ring of Honor. I mean, at least I know around like 2014, 2015, and even part of 2016, they were both seeing us having the deepest tag team division in wrestling. And, and at, at that time, it was it was. You you could believe it because they had you know teams like Young Bucks, Red Dragon, uh, you know Diction, War Machine, and a bunch of other teams at the time. Well, since then they've either they I mean they've lost teams, and then but they haven't really replaced them with equal replacements. Because I mean, how many times have like the Young Bucks wrestled the Addiction in the last three years, or how many times have you know War Machine wrestled whoever in the last couple of years? You know. Yeah. I mean, they they still have good teams in, in the division, but for me, it's got a little stale. But I, I do think Best Friends did freshen things up a bit. Um, I mean, the Young Bucks, unlike the, they probably are a contender for Tag Team of the Year to a lot of people. Although they, I will say, I don't know if it just has something to do with who I picked, you know, as get as guests, but they're they're not doing that great in the Omakaze Awards so far. I have to say. Hmm. I, I mean, if, I mean, honestly, if when I vote in the Observer Awards, I'm not going to even... I mean, they've had a great year, but I'm not going to include them just because they're, they, they seem like a boring choice. Like, I think for me, I'm probably going to vote Uso's New Day War Machine as my top three. Yeah, the, uh, two, Uso's and New... Uso's are getting a ton of support in our awards. New Day and are getting a little bit. War Machine really aren't getting any. I think one person voted for them. Yeah. I, I mean, well, like, when I eventually vote for, the, like, the actual Observer Awards, I mean, that's who I'm probably going to pick. Did you uh, vote? Did you vote in our awards already? I can't even remember. I haven't voted yet. I I know you said I have until the end of the month. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, know, I, I, just I, know, have, I just have to find the time. Joe, Joe has. Yep. They were my pick. I don't think any tag team means as much to their respective company as the Young Bucks do to Ring of Honor. Yeah. And, and they have a really that's good true. year in ring. So yeah, to be that's, a pretty that's easy pick. True. That's very true. Um, I think I think I might include the Unbucks in the Omikaze Awards, but I think for the Observer Awards, I'll put in like War Machine because I, I I figure in the Observer Awards they're probably going to get a lot of votes anyway. Yeah. So I wonder why. Um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so like let's talk. I guess real quick, anything for Feud of the Year? Well, what's your ring of honor Feud of the Year? Um, I like the Jay Lethal Silas Young feud. The way that played out with uh. Kind of the way that built and, and Silas going over in the end. That one jumps out to me. 
Uh, Feud-wise, I mean, this isn't a company that really does, like, great feuds. So, I mean... Yeah. Kind of like, I don't know, Bullet Club versus everyone, I don't know. But nothing... You know, there's not that great feud with awesome interviews that, you know, in a great series of matches. I don't think they really provided that this year. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I would probably say, as far as feuds go, I would probably go with Lethal and Young. I mean, that that's the only thing that sticks out to me as something that was an actual like long term feud. Yeah. And what I actually thought was really interesting is that they they really used that to elevate side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.